mountainside. Welcome everyone to April 1st, 1990 in the Legacy Series. It is Toronto. It is the Sky Dome. It is WrestleMania 6. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. back. And if you will permit me to read you a little bit of a passage that uh, taken through scripture or taking outside of that context is familiar to a lot of people. I stumbled upon it last night. It says to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Whether you want to talk about the struggles of the last month or so or whether you want to talk about the legacy series in general, it is all about seasons. It is all about trying to understand what is going on, what happened, what should have happened, what could have happened, what would have happened, what season we are in. Ms. Van and I have struggled for so long to know. Is 1990 a part of WrestleMania 3? Is it a part of the past? Is it a part of the future? Is it right now? Is it things to come? Is it things that have gone by and I still don't know as we are sitting at WrestleMania 6 in 1990 the answers to all of those things but we're gonna take another stab at it I want to thank everyone who has been supportive we are unfortunately not back in a full-time weekly schedule there is a lot going on uh, but we are doing the best we can and when we can get back to it like that we will I do want to thank everybody um, and I do want to say I noticed something when covering WrestleMania 6, when thinking about it, when you think about the WrestleMania season, as they actually come to call it. I don't think you can call WrestleMania WrestleMania like we know it based on WrestleMania 1. You can make a case about celebrities. You can make a case about coming out. But we have long ago decided it took three years, that magical number three. It took till WrestleMania 3 to be able to call WrestleMania what we call it. It took three men coming together, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Bobby Heenan. After three years, three men come together. They are so at the peak of everything that all three of them believe they can take that belt, drive that narrative, dominate this universe. Andre the Giant leaves his fandom, leaves his best friend, leaves that mentorship, joins Bobby Heenan, Hulk Hogan, so defensive, clutching that belt, so much happened in that third year. Fast forward to three years later, and you're going to find out that the things that we thought would live forever, the things that we didn't think were a season, we thought they were eternity, we thought they were immortal, we thought they would be forever, would start coming undone. 
all on the same night. How is it that Andre the Giant and Bobby Heenan, what Andre the Giant would cleave to in Bobby Heenan, what Hulk Hogan would cleave to in that world title? How could it all be separated on the same night three years later? I'm not even going to get into the fact that we got more time to cover. And when we go three more years into the future, there's that number again, those three men. Andre the Giant will pass away in January of 1993. Hulk Hogan will receive a leg drop, a stretcher, and be ushered out of the WWF. Bobby DeBrain Heenan will be dragged out of Raw, thrown out of the building, and fired. The things we think will live forever never do. But they do such a good job sometimes that 20, 30 years later, people sit down to talk about them. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a world where it feels like the things that we go through will go on and on and on. And it feels like they're gone in the blink of an eye. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why we talk. That's why we discuss. Because these things matter. And all you got to do is turn your head left or right and a new perspective comes your way. I'm thankful to be here this week, even if it's just a week. We wanted to close out the year because December with the holidays, with the end of the year, gives us time to reflect. And that's what we're doing. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovel because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God. My learned colleague, he is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, anything that you might desire to you, because we are back on the Legacy Series. We are not going to let 2020, this year that has been a trial for everyone who's lived through it, we're not going to let it end without one more edition of the Legacy Series. We are going to be talking about WrestleMania 6 today. Everything that my wonderful co-host, who I'm very happy to be back on the air with and more, has talked about already. Oh my god, it's going to be a big show. It is the time. It is the, the stars in the sky of Hogan and Warrior and all the fans packed in to that Canadian arena. It's a big night. It's a big day for us. I'm excited to be back. I hope you are excited to be listening. Woo! It's WrestleMania 6. Mystic, we're here. We made it. It's amazing. Absolutely. My gosh. Uh, it's so amazing to be here. Like I said, these are the years that we kind of questioned about where our feet were not, not so firmly planted on what the ground is. Uh, I don't know how you took this show. Again, we don't talk about these things beforehand. Um in the context of the WrestleManias, how are you looking maybe a little bit at WrestleMania 6, at anything particularly from WrestleMania 6? What are your initial feelings as we jump into uh, this big pay-per-view from the first year of the 1990s? Oh, man. Last time, I think maybe on the last episode, we so neatly, without any coordination, rattled off the WrestleMania list from best to worst in perfect unison. Um, mm. So now there's some pressure that... How will we think about this show? Where will it slot in? Um, I don't think I know as neatly off the top of my head where I would put it. I will say there were parts of it which I enjoyed quite a bit. There were definitely other parts which I did not really enjoy nearly as much as past WrestleManias. I think, uh, I don't know, I, it may end up a little more towards the bottom of the pack. 
I think uh, we are in more of a mixed era now, and maybe that is the result of that question mark that we both had for these years. I don't know. It'll be interesting to go through it and kind of uh, collect the thoughts. It also doesn't help that uh, I watched a lot of it about a month ago and really only just finished it up uh, recently, so I'll have to rediscover some of my own thoughts along the way. Yeah, this is one that we will be extra specially reaching out to the audience because some of it I watched a long time ago. A lot of it I can't read my own handwriting. And it's tough in these eras because we're not expecting the greatest matches of all time in every single match. And a lot of times they deliver on that. So when you get a lot of matches, you know, again, we can't just slot it in so easily because to me, WrestleMania three, for example, is not just an amazing night because of Hulk Hogan and Andre and the card and all of that. It is also because it gave us WrestleMania four, which, you know, worked out in some ways and didn't, but it gave us Savage Hogan. It gave us a lot of things that came after it. So, we almost have to wait and see. You know, we got to cover 1990. You can't just watch an event and slot it in because it matters what came before it and what goes after it. Hmm. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, we are, I think, at kind of maybe a dividing line for the WrestleManias. Not what they're going to attempt to be, but what they are going to be. Uh, up to this point, every WrestleMania, especially from three till now, has featured... Um, you know, some big world ending match or concept or storyline. And, uh, that may be true to some extent at WrestleMania seven, but uh, there's definitely going to be a drop off there because, uh, Hogan warrior, you and I, we haven't necessarily cared for this that much, but I mean, you look at the fans, you look at the way people remember this event and you know, it's still a very big deal to a lot of people. Uh, slaughter versus Hogan, you know, this is a match that uh, will draw so poorly, they're going to have to move it out of that big stadium they keep bragging about on this show mm. into a smaller one. So there, there's going to be some drop-off from now to the next one. It is. I think this is the difficulty of covering this because there is a historical lens where you cannot downplay Hogan Warrior and the WrestleMania Six legacy. There's a lot that we have to give respect to even as, as we critique but there's also this reality, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think WrestleMania 6 dropped off over 100,000 buys from WrestleMania 5. Mm. I mean, depending on the total number, I, I don't know if that's uh, significant statistically or not, but certainly as more and more people had access to pay-per-view, you don't want to see it going down. I do think this is probably the year it went down a bit from the one before, and that's a trend that is going to continue for quite a while until we get to um, the height of Austin, I believe. Yeah, Bruce Pritchard talked about part of the reason we didn't see Hogan Warrior 2 is because they were disappointed in the buy rate um, of WrestleMania 6. And, of course, <laughs> WrestleMania 7 is going to have almost an equal amount of, of drop-off from the already dropped-off WrestleMania 6. So I don't know how much that reason stands up in that regard. But at the same time, I understand. And... Vince McMahon, the idea is just like, oh, Vince doesn't like tag wrestling. Vince doesn't like babyface versus babyface champion. And I kind of used to roll my eyes at that. But when you think about being the owner, and I think this is why this has to matter historically. we got to give it the respect it deserves. We also can critique it. Is you really are going all in and risking everything. You don't know that you're going to get to the building and the entire ring is going to cheer Hulk Hogan. And they're going to boo Ultimate Warrior out. So you are putting chips on the table in a way that is uh, the risk reward might be out of proportion, but you're going there anyway. So there is something kind of monumental about this. 
There is. I mean, uh, it's presented in a monumental way. It does have that feeling to it. Um, you can't really deny that aspect of it. And yet, um, as you said, we have to look at it historically, and that brings a number of perspectives into play for sure. It does. Um, I will say as we as we uh, as we exit 2020, which I just want to say this, folks, because we're you know we're trying to get things back on board. I'm trying to get through some things, trying to get back to that weekly schedule. But when Miss Van and I created this thing, it was during I believe the lockdown time. It was during the beginning of COVID. Nobody knew what was going to happen. We legit thought we might get two or three weeks into this, and the world might fall out from under us, and we not be able to continue. <laughs> And it didn't, thankfully, you know, <laughs> so we're, we're still here. Uh, the Legacy Series is still here. Um, yeah, everything uh, is still moving along. So, yeah, it's gotten us through some times, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, we had some very good years to go through. Um, perhaps as the world improves, the uh, quality of the WWF will decrease. And, um, you know, uh, there'll be a nice uh, sense of balance there. I don't know. Could happen. Yeah. It's an amazing thing, um, and I, I don't want to ever forget the fact that no matter what we went through this year, there were a lot of people whose lives were made better, including our own, by watching folks um, barely dressed in the 1980s, um, play fighting each other. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, I think, called it something about the greatest athleticism meets theater uh, at <laughs> WrestleMania six. Yep. So. You know, it's an amazing thing to watch some of these people. Uh, we did the award show recently. Um, I, I keep thinking about some of the people in the earlier eras, you know, some of the storylines. We are storytelling creatures. I don't think it matters how it's presented to us as long as it touches down into the big questions that human beings ask. Yeah, you know, what does it mean? to feud what does it mean to not be able to escape somebody else what does it mean to have to stand up and face something that's bigger than you are what does it mean to fail what does it mean to achieve what does it mean to arrive only to find out you got to keep on arriving what does it mean to realize the journey keeps going what does it mean to be hulk hogan for example and rule the world and like i said Another three years from now, we're going to usher him out the door. What does it mean to be Andre the Giant and be larger than life, but also fall when you face that world title opportunity? What does it mean to be Bobby Heenan, who stands so close to being Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant, but can never quite get into that slot? What does it mean to be these people? What does it mean to talk about it? What does it mean? And we are fortunate to have an audience that can understand those bigger questions, and they ask those questions back to us. They rebuke us. They speak to the show. They do all these things. And so just to get wrapped up in the story, when sometimes the storylines of our lives are so underwhelming at times or so disappointing or so chaotic, but we can just tap out for a moment and be like, hey, I'm going to go get some energy from 1988 and I'll be right back to start back fighting these battles in my own life. So it has been an amazing uh, experience to call the Legacy Series. Our 80s are gone, our 90s are here, ladies and gentlemen, and it's just a good time here. It really is, yeah. Um, and uh, regardless of whether or not we enjoy the era of the warrior, I think we're going to continue to have a good time doing the show uh, because it's fun, because we like to do it with each other, because uh, of the great 
participation we do get from our listeners, both on uh, LOPforums.com and on Twitter and uh, anywhere else that we might get it from. So, yes, thank you all for listening. Um, I hope you're as glad to have us back as we are to be back. And, uh, yeah, we got WrestleMania 6 here. For better or for worse, it's still going to be a fun time. Absolutely. I'm saving an Ultimate Warrior quote <laughs> for the end of the show because I tried to watch some of his thoughts on WrestleMania 6. And oh, wow. Just his response to things. You, you get the human beings that you get, and so I'll give you that response at the end. Uh, but I guess we'll, we will jump into things. Uh, again, folks, you know, have some mercy because it's been a while for both of us since we covered some of this. But we got a Canadian national anthem to kick off. We got Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, I do believe, for the last time ever uh, covering our WrestleMania event. I believe you're right. By this time next year, he'll be gone. Um, I think uh, an interesting part of this opening is that uh, Jim Duggan comes out and attacks the person singing the national anthem. Oh, no, wait, he doesn't, but maybe, like, he should have? Like, isn't that what he promised he would do? So mm-hmm. Jim Duggan letting down America at the start of uh, WrestleMania six. I don't know what you say about that. That's a, you know, it, it is... It is one of the most fortunate, unfortunate events, I guess, of all time because good for him that he didn't do it. But at the same time, Miss Van asked, you know, this is what he's sworn uh, to uphold. And turns out, you know, when I don't think it'd be so obvious, I think Hacksaw Jim Duggan might get booed if he did that. So we might find out that what we've already known, that all this gimmick has a lot of self-interest in it. Is that what we're saying, Miss Van? I believe it is, yes. And also that uh, Jim Duggan is a damn hypocrite and maybe he shouldn't have hung all his uh, hopes on that damn American flag, because guess what? There are other countries, and that's okay, and that's what Jim Duggan could never admit to us, yet he admits it by omission, by not doing the attack here, so take that, Jim Duggan, I've skewered you expertly, <laughs> and you won't sell it, and you won't care at all, so... He will not sell it, and he will be he will be with us later on, and we will find out <laughs> that he can take on two men at one time and somehow know the two-by-four is in the ring, whether he knows should know it or not, but that will be future jewels from WrestleMania 6 to get to later. As Bobby Heenan would say, he can look in two directions at once, so yeah, it's yeah. a big advantage for him. And we'll get to that, but there's, I want to talk about Earthquake as the show goes on, because in one breath I feel like he's the next Andre the Giant that's destroying everything, and then in another breath he's like some half-jobber getting handled on the apron, so <laughs> I don't fully know how to receive him at booking-wise at this time. It's very understandable. We will have that conversation for sure. A matchup that maybe looked better on paper. Who knows? We'll talk about it. We got a great idea for a kickoff for WrestleMania 6. I don't know if um, we could get better with our ideas. We got Coco Beware going one-on-one with Rick Martell, who is getting more and more into his model gimmick. He is indeed. Uh, we are definitely still in the era of WrestleMania, where there's like a few matches that have a feud attached. And then just a lot of matches where it's just like, here are some matches, you know, we'll just kind of vomit these matches on the screen and see what happens. So, uh, yes, we have Rick Martel, Coco Beware. Coco gets to come out, kick off WrestleMania, which I think is cool. I do like Coco Beware. Um, yeah, I don't know. Certainly this is a match that I think could have been better with more time, with more reason to happen, um, you know, with, with many other factors changed. I think as short opening matches go... I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. You've definitely got two very talented people in here, neither of whom I think is being used to their maximum potential. 
Absolutely. I'm never going to say I did not enjoy Coco Beware versus Rick Martel. I think they had some glitches, uh, some attempts and some uh, messing up a little bit here and there. Some fans, I think, tried to start a boring chant that thankfully did not really get off the ground. But I also liked moments of it. There was a reverse crossbody into a standing drop kick. You know, there's all this potential in guys like Coco Beware that you know they could do, do more, but they always seem to be slotted to put over the next guy. And then Rick Martel, who's just a little bit confusing because it seems like ever since uh, Strike Force broke up, the idea has been to push Rick Martel, not necessarily Tito. And while they pushed him more than Tito, he too seems like he is never getting past the being in the phase of launching uh, aspect. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, Rick Martel, I mean, we know the model, you know, it'll get off the ground. I think there'll be some uh, bigger feuds for him later. But yeah, we're a year into his uh, heel push and there really hasn't been a whole lot going on besides, you know, definitely some good matches along the way, as you would expect. But um, yeah, no blow off with Tito. So nothing to really put that over um, the way it should have been. No other real angles to uh, sink his teeth into that I can think of. Um, I think this time next year, is it? I think next year it'll be Jake and Martel in the blindfold match. I'm really looking forward to that for sure. So he's going to get some more stuff to do. But in the meantime, yeah, he's having kind of a uh, throwaway, albeit good, match with Coco Beware at the start of WrestleMania here. I wonder how much Mr. Perfect kind of fills the role that Rick Martel otherwise could fill. That's, that's a possibility. My question is, I guess, why is there not room for two of those people? And if you're going to fill it with Hennig anyway, why did you turn uh, Martel heel, you know, when he yeah. was better as a babyface? So the questions continue. Strike Force, man, they could have gone on a lot longer now that I think of it. Like, think of all the great Strike Force matches that could have happened in these years when Tito and Martel often are not doing a lot. There's really just no reason for that. Yeah, I think. In part, it's a big roster, and sometimes they focus on the wrong people. But I think in every scenario you want to play out, Strike Force stays together. They could do a whole lot more. Yes, they could. You break them up. Rick Martel could have done more than he did. Tito could have done more than he did. This is a as many people have we talked about in this series. I'm not any more impressed with anybody else than I have been with Strike Force and the potential of these guys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're top tier. I think uh, they they don't get credit for it, but they changed the face of tag team wrestling in the WWF, maybe more so than those who do get credit. British Bulldogs, Heart Foundation, we have uh, voiced our dissatisfaction with them in the past, and I will do so again and again and again, I am sure. Is it a – what do you think popular opinion is on Rick Martell? Do you think people think he's better as a babyface? I don't think people think about Rick Martel, unfortunately. <laughs> I think you you kind of shared this before we did this series. You know, I think if they think of him, they think of him like you did. Is oh, he's the model. You know, it, it was all right. You know, I never got excited about it. Um, and that was his whole life. Like he was the model for a few years, mm. and then you know he was born when that started, and he died when it ended, and you know it, nothing ever happened to him besides that. So it's unfortunate. I'm glad we uh, at least were able to shine some more light on Rick Martel in this series. Yeah, I do wonder what people think because I'm already enjoying the model and I, you know, he's yeah. going to do a good job, but he is so much better as a baby face. And oh. I don't know if that would be a popular opinion, but man, you give like the difference between baby faces and heels 
if there's one commonality, it seems like baby faces get to have high energy and big energy and heels don't. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, I like him with the energy. The most Martel can do now is uh, bump around, which he does very well. I think yeah. uh, the motion of Rick Martel is still good in this match. Like, you can pick up on it very well. But, yeah, I mean, if you ask someone about Rick Martel and they knew who he was, which they probably wouldn't, but if he did, then, yeah, they would say he was a babyface. What? I don't think so. You're misremembering. Let mm. me explain to you what Rick Martel is. He was this model, you know, and, and the, the conversation will go from there. I all of a sudden, you think about the Rockers, like there's kind of this pattern that happened before them and after them, but it kind of pinned on them, where one guy turns heel, the other one is Marty Jannetty, one guy goes on, this, that, and the other. I want to see the day that you have this big heel turn, whether it's Rick Martel turning on Tito or Michaels turning on Marty, and then like five minutes later or five weeks later, they're just back as a tag team, and you're like, I thought you guys broke up, and they're like, yeah, you know what? I actually thought I'd be better without him. Turns out there was nothing out there for us, and we're just back as a tag team, and we're going to do what we were doing again. That'd be nice. I think that'd be like, so. you, you talk to them, and they're like, yeah, we, we worked it out. You know, We were friends for a long time. We had yeah. a disagreement. We solved it. You know, we're doing better now. So, great. What a nice story for us to yeah. uh, get into. It never happens, though. It's some simple honesty, but at this point, before Martel and Tito, like, where do you say, you know what, this isn't going anywhere? And, you know, I did think I could do better without you. I was wrong. You know, hey, yeah, that was a lot of ego in that. I'm going to do better. Thank you for giving me another chance. But, you know, if you're so like, such an egomaniac that you blow up with such a successful team, yeah, you would think you would have to have some reward or or you would quickly be like, oh, my gosh, I really messed up. <laughs> uh, that that would make sense. Uh, it's not the mindset, of course, of this era or probably any era of wrestling. But uh, I'll say this. At least Rick Martel had an avenue forward. And poor Coco Beware, I think this is probably the most that he ever will get despite being also uh, very talented, in my opinion. But he is going yeah. to do the tap out here. And um, that's about as good as it gets if you're the Birdman. I don't know what you do with people like this because it's just clear you're not going to be the choice. Because I think he could have done better as a singles wrestler. But, you know, I think we're going to be on board with this. I think high energy could be as good as any tag team winning tag titles for the most part. Like, they, you, know, you give them time and attention and mature them. You know, so, like, he could have done it in singles. He could have done it in tag team. But you just kind of figure out. It was never going to happen no matter how much effort he put into it. Absolutely. And with with a guy like Coco, you know, of course, he's short for the era and, you know, this, that and the other thing. He's not going to be a world champion. And that's fine. That's that's the way it should be. Could he be an intercontinental champion? Maybe it would be a little bit of a stretch. I think it could have happened at a certain time and place, if not that. You know, what do you do with the guy? I, I don't know. I just like to see guys who actually get some feuds, some storylines. You actually try to figure out kind of how far you can go with them. And I feel like they never even quite got to that point with Coco. They're just like, well, you know, here's your role. You'll be this role forever. Goodbye. You know, that's it. So it's it's a little disappointing if you're a Coco Beware fan like I am. But I guess it's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, it's that hard balance, too, because I always worry when there's too many championships. But at this time, WCW will have – you know, the world title, the U.S. title, the TV title, the world tag team titles, the U.S. tag team titles, the six-man tag titles. And, you know, you think about guys like Early Owen and Coco, and maybe they would have been better in opportunities like that because 
Like I'm a fan of Big Josh, and Big Josh is never going to be U.S. champion or world champion, whether he could have ever been that good or not. Mm-hmm. But he's going to be six man tag team champions. You know, there's going to be somewhere to plug him in, give him narrative and meaning. And in this era where it's the world title, the IC title, and the tag titles, it's very difficult to break through. Man, give these guys five more minutes, and Martel and Coco, they could fight over the TV title. I'd be, yeah. I'd be happy for that. You know, that'd be plenty right there. So, oh well. TV titles might be the greatest championship of my. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just because so it, good. It's so explicit, and it, it it makes any heel the closest thing you can be to a world champion because it just sets up the heel. Like Mr. Perfect could have done this, Rick Martel could have done this. You could slot any guy into a WWF TV title, and they could be off and running with those time limits, those disqualifications, you know. And it makes baby faces better because all of them could have beat the TV champion, but they, you know, they did this dirty thing or that dirty thing. So, again, it gives purpose and meaning, and I guess kicking off WrestleMania should be enough. But, again, a lot of these matches, they're either feuds that, you know, you're not that into or they just get thrown together. So, sometimes, you know, they're not maximizing what maybe they could have done. For sure. And you know we love the TV belt. I mean, for baby faces as well, I've been watching WCW 98, Booker mm. T with an epic uh, run yes. of that title and just uh, gaining popularity hugely week after week because that time limit forces them also to be more, you know, energetic, to be more uh, fast paced, to excite the crowd. Man, it's just like, it's the perfect title. It's like my favorite title ever. I love that TV yeah. belt. TV title is an amazing thing. Uh, here, I think Miss Hens already mentioned it, but you get the Boston Crab and the submission. So Coco Beware is going to go down. Rick Martel is going to continue to move forward. And next year, we're going to get him in probably his most high-profile matchup and feud in this era. We are, and I am looking forward to that very unique, very interesting match. But uh, we will get there in time. Gene Okerlund is with the Colossal Connection, who we will remind you are the tag team champions who will be defending against Demolition in just a little bit. <laughs> you should have reminded uh, Gene Okerlund, because before the match, he calls them the Colostomy Connection, mm. and uh, he's lucky Andre didn't choke off his little peanut head when he said that. <laughs> yes. Bobby Heenan starts with, hey, Baldy, and uh, off they go. Uh, Heenan and Gene Okerlund, when you get them together, you just kind of sit back and let them do whatever they're going to do. Oh, yeah, beautiful thing. That relationship reaching far back to the AWA many, many years already. And, um, yeah, they're great together. I love them. This is, again, the things in life that we cannot know because there's no way when you're Bobby Heenan and you got the family and you got the tag team champions that you know or you could know that this is the last promo you're going to do in alliance with Andre the Giant. Yep, you probably would have used less uh, poop puns if he had known. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the show goes on. Sean Mooney, who will be doing half the work tonight, is in another locker room. He is with Demolition. Um, <laughs> why do they call me the Axe? Uh, because he can cut down the biggest redwood oak. So that's a shot, I do believe, at the great Andre the Giant. I believe so, but Smash shows that he understands that Hulk Hogan school of babyface promo because he instead imagines a scenario where he drives them all off a cliff so they can all die. Um, so yes, that uh, very homicidal, perhaps suicidal uh, style of Hulk Hogan comes here for demolition as well. Yeah, I think that's more in the norm than not. You know, if, if everybody's not going to die, why are we here at WrestleMania? <laughs> 
<laughs> why indeed why we will all just sink into the sea again just like we did before so this is a big one though especially on paper you look at the fact that we got colossal connection it's haku and andre the giants so that in itself is special and you got the demolition who are going uh attempting to be a three-time tag team champions in this era which is phenomenal Absolutely so. I will go on record right now and say this is actually my favorite match of the night. Uh, to those of you who, uh, and probably no one who listens to this show, if you think this, you probably abandoned us long ago. But if you think Andre wasn't great right to the end, you will find no friends here because uh, I enjoy Andre a lot in this match. Um, there's great... Man, I was very impressed when we rewatched the uh, match where Colossal Connection wins the titles. It was very unique because it was a blowout. Basically, Haku and Andre took over right away and just obliterated Axe. He never even made a tag to his partner. And the same thing almost could have happened here because they take over right away again. But this time, Demolition starts making really quick tags. That's a bit of continuity that I really appreciate, and I think it elevates this match even a little bit higher than the action itself. Absolutely. I don't know if Andre and Heenan are already having problems or the problems with the whole family is bogging them down, but I do get the feeling that there was an expediency and urgency uh, in Demolition more so than the Colossal Connection. Oh, sure. Demolition definitely out to get um, their titles back there on the warpath as uh, a team named Demolition can be. And uh, I think in the part of Heenan and Andre, we've seen all this conversation about how long it took Bobby Heenan to win a title. It was a big sore spot for him for years mm-hmm. in the WWF. Now he's actually had a few titles. And surely, like, when you feel that pressure, I think this is going to lead directly to what happens after the match because you're kind of in a panic a little bit to hold on to that thing. You know, once you've had this uh, taste of success, then you don't want to let it go for anything. And if he loses this title, you know, he's going to be without any champions again, and uh, he doesn't want to have to go back and face that. So I feel that extra energy, that extra emotion coming off of Bobby Heenan here. I think it's going to lead him to make a big mistake after this match is over. Absolutely. I think you could almost make a case that nobody did more damage to Bobby Heenan than Gorilla Monsoon. Because <laughs> it's Monsoon who plants these narratives more than anybody else. And it's Bobby Heenan who wants to be able to say at the end of the day, you know, to be able to put in his face the reverse of that story. So I think that is there. I don't think we can ignore the fact that Bobby Heenan kind of screwed it up. With the brain buster. So, like, mm. there's a pattern that's starting to emerge that goes to your point that there is a desperation to hold on to championships and not go back to that famine or that drought that, you know, you may never recover from. Yeah. Art Anderson once told Bobby Heenan, one mistake, don't sink the ship. And mm. yet, Bobby Heenan, we have established, his worst fear is to look foolish or to look shabby or to look like a failure, even for a moment. So one mistake will sink his ship mentally. And uh, I think that he, you know, is definitely in panic mode uh, in some aspects of this match. Yeah. And Bobby Heenan, obviously one of the greatest managers of all time, but he could not even live by the rules that he seems to now be imposing on the wrestlers who are in front of him. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. It's an amazing. You watch Andre. I have a note that Andre can just stand on the apron and make faces, and he's still great. 
<laughs> he is. I mean, they play it. I have so much respect for this team for this final run of Andre because, yes, obviously he's very limited. He is in bad physical shape. You can't deny that. You can't pretend it's not happening. And yet, what a brilliant way to keep using Andre, to use him in a very limited yet very effective fashion. It's just, I think it's just perfectly done. Um, you can see the live crowd, they're still hugely into it, so critics may come um, after the fact and say, oh, well, you can't like this, Andre, he's not even moving right, but you know what? Mm. He's great anyway, because he's Andre the freaking giant. And- yeah, Andre the giant is so far beyond these criticisms. Like he, His legacy is way too big, and you know, to me, he's doing... He's bringing as much quality to this storyline as he brought to any other WrestleMania. You know, give him a certain amount of a job to do, and he maxes out his job. And this is second match on WrestleMania, but not only is he going to do an amazing job, he's going to lead to a hero's uh, response before this is over. So He will. He will. What did he do at WrestleMania 5? Oh, with Jake, I think. Okay. I think so. Oh, yeah. No, he, he always had some kind of nice storyline thing going on. Uh, through the years so credit to him i gotta highlight this we're gonna see heenan and uh, andre break up after the match to anyone who doesn't know and yet they're still working well together in this match one of my favorite little moments in this match is you have axe and he's like crawling against the ropes and bobby heenan just walks by and he slaps axe in the face as he walks by and axe crawls after him and yet Heenan has walked right over to Andre the Giant, so Axe basically crawls right into Andre, who just levels him as soon as he gets there. And that man, mm-hmm. what a great little moment that is! I love that. Yeah, that is a great moment. And just before that, I don't think I have to rewatch it because it's been a while, but I don't think it's in connection with how obvious it is going to be. But Girl Monsoon has this moment where it's like you got to watch out for Bobby Heenan, and then like a second later, Bobby Heenan's on the attack and creating that whole scenario. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, it's great stuff. And we cannot, cannot leave Haku out of this equation because the other half of Andre being used in a limited capacity is that Haku is taking on demolition almost by himself at times. And he is wrecking them credibly. And this team is like one of the most powerful teams you'll ever face. So Haku, man, he looks awesome in this match. I'm just thinking, like, if these two had teamed up a year before, they would have held that title a year longer. Two years before, two years longer. You know, these guys could have held the title as long as they wanted to if they had teamed up earlier. Absolutely. What a uh, vote of confidence. You're slotting Haku in by saying not only is he good enough in the ring to carry this, but like you said, he's believable enough to still dominate the greatest tag teams by himself. So, uh, as much as we honor Andre the Giant, this is a, such a vote of confidence to make Haku the partner uh, in this last iteration of Andre the Giant. Indeed. Um, I'd say the only way they could have lost this match is the way they did lose this match, and that is through uh, miscommunication, putting harm on each other, because I, I don't think Demolition, as much as I like them, I don't think they had it in them to beat this team if everything had gone straight down the line. So... Haku kicks Andre in the face by mistake, and one last time he gets tied up in those ring ropes. The the bane of Andre's existence is those ring ropes. Hina tries to free him, but no luck. Demolition is able to put the decapitation on Haku, and we have new tag team champions to an enormous pop. Absolutely. This is uh, 
this is again why you know something is just not wrong, right in the family. Because you could blame Haku for kicking Andre the Giant. You can blame Andre the Giant for getting stuck in the ropes. Bobby Heenan could blame himself for not being able to get Andre the Giant untied. But for whatever reason, it just seems very clear uh, that Bobby Heenan wants to go after Andre the Giant. And before you know it, these, remember, folks, remember how shockingly uh, uh, just devastating it was. I don't think Andre the Giant was capable. If, if he came out and said, Hulk Hogan, I want to betray you, and I want to be a heel, and I want to face you, Hogan would have slapped him on the back and been like, all right, pal, you're having a bad day, and that would have been the end of it. What he did, the only thing that he could do going into WrestleMania three is to come out with Bobby the Brain Heenan, and that changed everything. Mm, yeah. And now here we are. It, it just blows my mind. I said it at the opening. Hogan is going to be severed from that championship by a babyface who is meant to replace him. And Bobby Heenan is about to be severed from Andre the Giant. Yeah, we're seeing the real um, kind of the death of WrestleMania three here, or maybe the reversal or uh, whatever word you would like to use. Um, yeah, a lot of things are changing. You know, in 1991, Hulk Hogan will have his last uh, full-time year with the WWF. In 1991, Bobby Heenan will retire as a manager. So we're really getting to the end of some of these big things which were established and uh, really kind of carried the era. You know, this is the last time we'll see Andre in the ring. A lot of things are going to be changing here. Yeah, and it's, you think about the confidence of Vince McMahon because he's not an ordinary human being. And for better and worse, and the success that he's had, like, are you just so confident because you've done such great things that you think, oh, Ultimate Warrior, oh, you know, whoever, whatever else? Or is there any, like, humanness to him that so, a lesser man like myself would be sitting back there and thinking, you can't replace Hulk Hogan, Bobby Heenan, and Andre the Giant. You might not be able to replace them individually, but when three are kind of going out the door at the same time, like, I would be under my desk in panic at that point. <laughs> well, bear in mind that, uh, you know, maybe five years earlier, six years earlier, people were probably telling him, you can't replace Bob Backlund, and mm. you, you can't change wrestling, you can't become a, a national organization, um, you know, they all told him that, I am sure, many people did or, or thought that at least, and he proved them wrong, so when you have a man like that, you know, he'll, he'll probably think he can do it all again, and sometimes he'll be right, and sometimes he'll be dead wrong, so we'll see where he lands on this one. Yeah, this is, I want to talk a little bit as we go into this about Andre the Giant, because man, there's not going to be another career in the entirety of this series. Undertaker's going to take us on an incredible journey. Steve Austin, The Rock, there are going to be people, or, or people who are going to do things that nobody else can do, but there's not going to be another Andre the Giant. And I'm looking at his Wikipedia page uh, before. Do you know that he wrestled both Nick Bockwinkle and Harley Race to 60-minute time limit draws? Wow, I knew he wrestled them. I did not know 60 minutes. Um, I have seen younger Andre, and it is a marvel. But, uh, wow, that's really something. I, I would be very interested to see those matches. Yeah, that's just the scope of this man. And if it was not you know, for the reality of what he was battling, the man is going to pass away at 46 years old. Mm. And he's going to still be the greatest of what he is and can be that we're ever going to see. And so 
I just want to wait to be there for folks that we are watching the greatest career maybe, you know, of its kind that we're ever going to see. And Bobby Heenan and Andre have this loving heel relationship. Hmm. And yet, you know, we know Bobby Heenan has a bad temper. It's hard to watch. I don't know if you felt that or not. It was hard for me to watch Bobby Heenan behaving that way towards Andre the Giant. It is tough. We've talked about the strength of their relationship many times, and yet uh, this is always this is almost always where Heenan ends up. Um, he has that temper, as you said, and uh, it, it is a sad event. It felt very sad to me um, to see this friendship, this partnership split apart. Um, after the match, Heenan uh, just harangues Andre for uh, for not being able to stop the count on Haku. And then uh, the mistake he always makes is he gets physical. He starts poking Andre. <laughs> and even now, Andre kind of looks apologetic about it, which has mm-hmm. got to touch your heart a little bit. But then Heenan slaps Andre. It's always the slap that puts it over the top. What a mistake. Andre grabs Heenan. Heenan begs off. He says he's sorry. It's too late. Andre gives him a few slaps back and a punch and knocks him out of the ring. And he then stumbles around like his whole body has been just put through the ringer, which it basically has, because when Andre hits you at any point in his career, you're going to feel it. Haku tries to attack Andre, but Andre beats him up as well, sends him out. I hate to see it. It's the end of an era. Oh, it did make me sad. You know, you make a very good point, especially as I relive it now in my mind. I feel that sadness again. Yeah, the, Bobby Heenan needed help. Like he really needed to see a therapist about his anger because <laughs> in that moment, and you know that he's too logical. He's Bobby the Brain, but he is treating Andre the Giant like he's the Red Rooster. Uh yeah, it's that weasel coming out. You know, yeah. it's not it's not the intellectual anymore. And you know he knows better, but in that moment he doesn't. And Andre, like this fan said so well. Andre the Giant's trying to be logical, like, oh, did you notice that guy kicked me in the face? You know, he's trying, <laughs> like, to explain and to make the situation okay. But you're talking to a Bobby Heenan who cannot uh, be pacified at this moment. Ask Andre, uh, ask Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, ask a lot of guys that came before. And he puts his hands on Andre the Giant, which, again, a guy named Weasel, a guy called Weasel, <laughs> assaulting Andre the Giant. You know that he is not altogether there. And it's just the weird things about life because it's almost like void of Hulk Hogan, void of WrestleMania three, void of those things. Eventually, these guys are going to break up, you know, and it's uh, I would love to for this to be be an era where more was explored. Like, I would like to know how did Bobby Heenan feel about the fact that Andre never took the world title with him? From Hulk Hogan. How did he feel about the fact that Andre with Ted DiBiase got the belt and then, you know, all those things happened? You know, did any of that register with Bobby Heenan? Did, how did he feel about that whole passage of time? Like, I would love to know the answers to those questions. Indeed. It's an era where uh, people remain closed mouthed about certain things, either because, uh, you know, they're just not considered in the canon of the story or because, uh, you know, maybe he didn't want to talk about that. Yeah. You know, maybe he was protecting that partnership he didn't want to uh, say any criticism of andre or he didn't want to bring up a sore subject who knows you know it could be any number of things but uh i i too would have liked to see that interview yeah this is this is it in a way i think we'll see some a promo or two maybe with andre and we'll try to you know grab on to any of that 
but we are at the end of the wrestling career of Andre the Giant. Mm. And folks, there's no way to exaggerate the fact that you don't get any of this. I said it like Mr. T celebrities, WrestleMania. That's 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 an announcement of what they want to be. WrestleMania three is an arrival and this is what we are. Mm. And you don't get that without Andre the Giant. Indeed. And credit to the WWF. I don't think it was the intention that this was the end of uh, Andre's yeah. in-ring career because uh, he will be advertised um, at times. He will be advertised, I know, for the 1991 Royal Rumble, uh, which will not be able to happen, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of hope that they would be able to continue using him as much as possible. I think it is just a shame that uh, it never worked out. Um Perhaps for the best for Andre physically. I know he'll work uh, a lot of six-man tags in Japan where he's really not able to do much, even by the standards of this match. But still, you know, it would have been nice to see um, a swan song for Andre beyond this where he could really uh, embrace that babyface role one more time. We've never talked about cinematic matches um, because it's not really the um, scope of where we are, but... While I think everything can be abused and, and be too extreme and too much, I'm really coming around on the idea of cinematic matches for, if nothing else, for reasons like this. Like, you got Andre the Giant and he cannot wrestle, but you want to have the blow off between Andre and somebody and Bobby Heenan. You put them in a cinematic thing where he, he can just, you know, do some acting and walking around a little bit. Like, I would take that over us not seeing him any day of the week. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, th- there is some appeal to them. Like you said, there's uh, execution, you know, there's any, there's good and there's bad in any format, any kind of match. So uh, I get you. But yeah, it would have been nice to see, you know, it was a very far different era from that. Maybe it would offend some people to see that. But you know what? I don't care. I would have loved to see it. So that's all I can say for myself. Yeah. Andre and Haku in a cinematic, a cinematic match. Come on. <laughs> oh, I would have loved it, man. Andre and Haku. That just saying that, man, gets gets my motor running a little bit, gets my blood pumping. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Um, our last uh, sight of this match. Um, <laughs> this is another great little touch. It's the little touches, man. They put it over. Haku mm-hmm. and Heenan are gonna ride their little cart out, but Andre like kicks them out of the cart so he can take the cart back and ride back by himself. So. Good job, Andre. It's a little bit of babyface privilege, but, you know, you earned the right, I guess. That was my, maybe might be my favorite moment in the entire <laughs> WrestleMania, you know, because it's not supposed to happen. Like, everything is so determined that the minute someone gets into something and it starts moving, you just assume, okay, watch them go out. And by, Andre clearing it out is not only a testimony to he's about to have that hero's uh, exit, which, you know, in light of things to come is even more special, but also – he is the boss, and if anything represents who he was on camera and off, it's that if he decides you're not riding in the uh, little <laughs> ring exit, you're not riding in the little ring exit. <laughs> uh, it's a great moment. And like you said, it's so easy for everything to just kind of turn off as soon as you kind of get to that ramp and, you know, just mm-hmm. go to the bag. Uh, but that that's not the way of uh, the people involved here. They're going to they're gonna keep it turned on. Uh, till the moment they go through that curtain. So I, I give big credit for that. Uh, it's a great little touch that puts it over the top. I had not thought about this till right now, but it's also parallelism because Hogan is going to have that final ride uh, where they kind of anoint him the immortal and that he'll live forever. Mm-hmm. So Andre and Hogan are both going to have those kind of hero exits 
uh, on the same show as well. I would have, uh, I don't usually ask for this, but man, uh, a, a Hogan promo about Andre coming back over to the babyface side. Yes. I mean, considering their history, considering the claims that he made about their relationship, you know, what was happening there, I wonder. Um, who knows, you know, within the story, was Hogan even aware of this? He had his own stuff to deal with, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. Would have been interesting. Oh, man, if he, if he was in his prime and he's turning back, especially the fact that Hogan's got to deal with Earthquake. If Hogan and Andre came back together for SummerSlam and were in a tag match or something like that, I would put down money to see it right now. Oh, sure. Even Andre and Hogan's corner or something. Yeah. Even just, can you imagine, like, Hogan and Andre sitting down backstage together. Andre's going to, like, give him, uh, like, teach him, like, oh, here's how you can beat a guy that's bigger than you. Of course, Hogan knows because he beat Andre, but, hey, you barely beat me. You know, I, yeah. I almost beat you anyway. You need some help because uh, this guy could get you. Man, I'd love to see something like that. And it lifts Earthquake up with the fact that he's got to go to Andre, you know, to deal with Earthquake. Yeah. You know, so that gives more weight on it. And, you know, and Hogan can also let the Hulkamaniacs know that although he was the devil and was never sincere as a mentor, that Andre has finally seen the light and become a decent person. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, you know. Maybe you were, maybe you weren't, but right now you are because you're helping me, so that's all that matters, you know. Uh, I can think of at least one thing they do with Andre, which is really disappointing in the light of all these good ideas we're having, but uh, mm. I guess we'll wait and see what that looks like. And it's also, and we'll just say this, you know, there was a better WWF era that's almost un, untouched against anything in history, mm. and I think if we were in that era, we would see Hulk Hogan and Andre have a conversation about this. Yeah, I think in the right time and place, it absolutely would have happened, and I would have loved to see it. So uh, we're, we're in a different era. They do things differently, you know, for better and for worse. But uh, it doesn't mean we can't uh, imagine what it would be like and enjoy that that thought in our minds. Yeah, and it's hard not to because as Andre the Giant is leaving, Earthquake, again, is undefeated. He's sending people to the hospital, and we go straight from Andre the Giant backstage to Gene Okerlund, Jimmy Hart, and Earthquake. Indeed, Jimmy Hart. Maybe is it a Jimmy Hart thing that makes Earthquake seem weird? I don't know. Jimmy Hart yeah. jumps around. And he says, "Oh, the scientists are watching because of Earthquake," and uh, I don't know. It's Quake. Too, like Andre is a weird looking guy. We know, but he's kind of weird looking in like a threatening, sort of like disturbing way at times. Like when he wants to look that way. Earthquake, like his look is just. He's like your your dad or something, like a middle-aged guy. <laughs> Even when he's young, you know, he's just yeah. uh, sort of strange-looking in that way. And I don't know, just something about his look does not grab me the same way. Yeah, and, and his finisher. Like, it doesn't strike yeah. terror. I, I get they're booking it, too, but even especially in the light that we are three years away from Yokozuna doing the bonsai drop from the second rope. Yeah, that that's a move that looks like it would cause a murder, earthquake. Yes. Like, it just doesn't look like much. You know, I never got into it. It looks awkward. It doesn't look that painful. You know, I'm sure it would hurt if it happened to me, but, you know, it, it just uh, it doesn't, it doesn't hit the same way, as they say. Yeah, especially when you're booking him to be what they're booking him to be. Yeah. I think if, whether you want to talk about his look and kind of his demeanor – the last thing you want to do is put him with Jimmy Hart because it's just like a double up of uh, they're kind of silly. You know, they're kind of like the Hart Foundation when they were like early on with Jimmy Hart and, you know, kind of more Alice in Wonderland than anything else. Yeah. 
you know, but at the same time, the booking, you know, is that all these people are going to the hospital. So you got kind of this, uh, what you're seeing with your eyes versus what you're hearing in the booking. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't go in for Jimmy Hart that much. I would have liked to see him with Slick, with, you know, I don't know if Sherry would want to do an additional thing besides Savage. Even Heenan, you know, maybe it would have been too much for Heenan to have another big guy going after Hogan. But, God, I would have watched that again. So, I don't know. Man. Yeah, could have been something different. Just to tie together the last conversation, what if Bobby Heenan was so quick to treat Andre the Giant like that? Because he already was courting Earthquake, and he had already moved on from Andreas the Giant and the family. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, could have been. Would have made a good story, I think. Yeah, so I think there are better ways to do this. It's got to be WWF, but every single promo is the exact same one about there's going to be an Earthquake, and there's this, that, and like you were saying with the science. Like, you got You can't do that every single time either. If, you're, if this guy is evolving and building into something the promos have to change at some point as well. <laughs> the the good and the bad of the uh, drill down promo style, yeah. which you have mentioned many times. If you have something good, it, it'll probably be good for a while. And, you know, you can add little tweaks to it and all this stuff. If you have something bad, man, you're just going to hear that bad thing over and over and over again. So, yeah, it's not really working for me right now. Yeah. And for fans of history, but I, I believe they do say it, maybe Jimmy Hart. The only natural disaster is earthquake. <laughs> For now. It's true at the time, yes. Now we'll have something different. Oh my gosh. So this is another thing about WrestleMania. We're going to see Earthquake versus Hercules. And there are a lot of guys on this card who, I'm not going to say they're past their prime because they might be past their booking prime where when you see them on the card, you don't wonder who's going to win the matches. Yeah, sadly. Are you saying Hercules is in that role now? Yeah, like I never doubted whether it should be this way or not that Hercules. When I see Dino Bravo, I'm not thinking Dino Bravo is going to win. You know, <laughs> things like that, for example. Right. Yep, guys that they've kind of written off already, right yeah. or wrong. Um, yep, Hercules gets the uh, job or entrance here, as they say. We, we mm. join him already in the ring, which is always the worst sign that you can possibly get. Um yeah, there's nothing to this match, really. The only thing I pop for is Hercules tries to go for the rack, tries to do his uh, Lex Luger tribute, but uh, he doesn't get too far with it. Yeah, I noted that no move has ever been more of a momentum killer than the torture rack. <laughs> oh, but it's so great, man. There's so many, so many nitros where Luger moves his arms in that certain way, and like mm -hmm. the whole crowd comes up on their feet, and they're doing the same thing, like... You want to see it, and yet, yeah, it can really stop you and your momentum, so uh, that's fair enough. We were told that Earthquake has sent 28 people to the hospital so far, so what would happen if this Earthquake, with his 28 record of sending people to the hospital, met early Goldberg with his 30-0 record? Oh my god, girl, Goldberg would murder him! <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh my god, one of the great joys of watching 98 is seeing the way Goldberg just murders everyone. Earthquake would explode when Goldberg hit him. So, my God. Whew, all right, okay, that's what I got to say about that. Hercules, unfortunately, is no Goldberg, and he is going to uh, go down. He is going to be handled. And I guess the bigger story is after the match, because that finisher is going to be used time and time again. Gorilla Monsoon is going to tell us, this is what's sending guys to the hospital. It's got to be stopped. 
So stop him. <laughs> you know, where's Jack Tunney? I, I where's don't know. Jack Tunney? Yeah. So Earthquake continues his role. We will see him a little bit later. Uh, Rona Barrett is backstage with Miss Elizabeth, who we have not seen in a long time. But apparently she has been thinking about a possible return to the World Wrestling Federation. Okay, so yes, we have a sit-down interview with Miss Elizabeth, and uh, that that doesn't thrill me, as you might suspect, but uh, Liz tells us, I don't even know what to make of half of this, but Liz tells us she's now in an advisory capacity. I don't know what the hell Liz <laughs> could advise on, but here, that's what she says. She says, and see if you can help me parse this out, she says, in the past, she was in a position to help her clients physically, but she didn't because she was afraid she wouldn't be able to help enough. Mm. So she chose to do nothing, I guess. Like, I don't know. I, I didn't know what to make of this. Obviously, it's a setup for her to show up later and to do something which will uh, irritate me. But um, I don't know. What did you make of this? I think it can only be read as a foreshadow for what is to come later, where she's going to step up and not only interfere, but dictate the difference in the matchup. Because the story, you didn't interfere, really, because Randy Savage, you know, is a maniac and he doesn't want you doing anything. Um, you know, I can kind of understand, like, not if they had built more of this, like the kind of person I am, it's almost impossible for me to do something for the first time. Like, if I've never done something I might be the most capable person, but it, I get paralyzed because I've never done it. Five minutes after doing it for the first time, I could do it 27 times in the same day, and it wouldn't be a problem. So I could almost see a struggle with, like, I need to help out, but because I've never helped out, I'm paralyzed to help out, and I don't know how it would have, how it would go if I helped out. So, But that would be something you would have to build into her character. You can't just drop it like this. So I feel like this is more just a... Like this should have, they should have been building this for weeks to come or something. Right. But it's just like a, it's like a quick. Oh, this is what you're gonna see later in the show type thing. <laughs> yeah, it's very uh, heavy-handed. It's, uh, yeah. I don't know. It felt awkward to me, as it often feels awkward to me when they ask Miss Elizabeth to actually speak, um, yeah. or do anything. You know, um, I, I've said before to the point that people think I don't like Miss Elizabeth, which is not really true, but it's definitely a case of where she is best when she's not. Um, saying anything or doing anything. She's kind of like the female Sting. I'll just throw that out here. So, um, you know, very over, very weirdly charismatic, and yet um, open your mouth or put your hands on anybody and the magic is gone. So here we are. Man, that, that is a, that's an amazing uh, comparison because Sting was one of the most over-rustlers in the world when sure. he wasn't speaking. The week that he spoke, it was all over. Like, people want to blame Starcade, and that was a horrible booking, and I don't know if he can recover from that, but the fact that he was ever going to speak again I had already sealed the deal. And it's the same thing with Liz. Like, I like the idea. I kind of like the idea of you're going to see a far more active Elizabeth because that's intriguing. Like, what does that mean? What's it going to look like? What calls that? Who's it going to be with? Like, who are you going to manage? Like, there's a lot of questions, but she looks like she's in so much pain when she's asked to speak. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's hard to watch that sometimes. Exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. Thank you for that. Sting never looks like he's in enough pain when he talks. <laughs> so it's like the opposite problem there. <laughs> you should be in a lot more pain. You are right. So that is the difference between them. At least Liz knows. 
she shouldn't be out here doing this. You know, she's just doing it because they asked. They can't make things shut up. You know, I don't know how they got to him not to talk, not to grin like a buffoon for a whole year. Like, that alone, like, that should deserve an award for Bischoff or Sullivan, whoever made that happen. Because, God, the moment he has the chance again, he's out there and he's talking about big, fat booties and, like, whatever the hell goes on in Sting's mind. Like, he, he can't ruin it fast enough, so... All right, there's your sting slander for the day. We keep working it in. Absolutely. I have no idea if it just worked out like that, but whoever decided to keep him silent, like that might have been the greatest booking move in the history of professional wrestling. <laughs> oh, bravo. Absolutely. Quick question, and then cause I got a feeling like some of these matches will run through rather quickly. But, sure. ladies and gentlemen, as we record this thing, is back in AEW. Okay. I think he wants to end his career on a better note. Um, so, what are your feelings about Sting so far, knowing that he's long-term? Like, what do you want to see? How many matches? Like, how? what are you thinking? Where are you at with this whole Sting AEW thing? Uh, I don't like it. I would like to see zero matches, and I don't know why they hired a guy who can't wrestle or talk in an entertaining fashion. And yet, everyone's very excited about it, so I guess, once again, I'm caught in this weird place where I'm like, okay, I'm glad you're all enjoying it, but did you know that it actually sucks? But I don't want to say that, but it's true. I don't know. They got him tied up with Cody and Darby and Taz and all these guys I like. He's kind of ruining it for me. So, yeah, I don't know what the hell they're going to do, but I guess we're going to wait and see, and um, I'll just suffer through in the meantime. Man, for those who don't know, I muted my mic, so I thought we were going to get this, like... <laughs> Like, complicated response. I had no idea uh, it would be that simple. I kind of respect that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's one of the, I don't watch AEW. Uh, Sting was enough for me to at least watch one segment. So I saw him. I think it was the one where he talks to Cody and Darby Allen's in the crowd for it. Mm. And, you know, there was one moment where I got chills. I can't remember what it was. It's like, oh, that's nice. But most of it hit the way Sting hits, which is like, I want this to feel more than it does. Um, I think he could do the most probably for Darby Allen because maybe they could have either a match or a pseudo match where maybe Sting doesn't die in it. But, you know, <laughs> for people who are so um, conscientious as AEW, I think they really need to be careful because like, Sting almost killed himself against Seth Rollins. So, yeah. you know, you really got to, you know, you got to be thoughtful about those things, especially if he's signed, if he's really signed to like a few years and he's going to be wrestling, like, man, you got to, I, I get it. It got them attention. They're trying to hit that million and stay over it, but it could do you damage in the long run if it if it went ugly because when you're in your 60s, is that right? 60s? 61, yep. You know, no great narrative dic dictates what happens when you're actually out there in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, dear God, if you must wrestle, please make it cinematic just so that, yes, yes I don't have to see an actual death in the ring that would be just amazing if i could not see that that would be cool man i i don't like this darby allen thing i gotta really say it i think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of who sting is and i almost can't blame them because it's been misunderstood for so long it might as well be true um i don't maybe it happened some in tna probably it did it definitely happened in wwe where he came in and they were just like oh sting likes justice or something mm -hmm. and it's just like it's not what sting was really about 
nobody seems to really have any appreciation or care for the origin of this crow thing, for the complicated way that that character came together. It's like, oh, well, he's brooding, and he wears face paint, and he <laughs> sat in the rafters one time, and that's his whole character, and he <laughs> likes to to fight for justice like he's Batman or something. And, man, I don't know. I look at Sting, I look at Darby Allen, and I'm like, man, the commonalities between these two guys are so superficial as to be completely irrelevant. Like, I feel like you only have to watch five minutes of these guys to understand that they're just unbelievably different. Darby Allen is maybe what Sting was supposed to be and never wanted to be and proves he isn't every time he moves or speaks or does anything. But I don't know. They threw them together. I have no idea what they're going to do with it. The idea of a match between them is not that appealing because the whole appeal of Darby Allen is that, you know, he does these, uh, you know, body-breaking, death-defying moves fearlessly, and the whole thing about Sting is that he's a million and he can't do anything, so what Mm. do you do with those two guys together? I don't know. Maybe Darby Allin will kill him with, like, a skateboard full of tacks or something. But, like, (laughs) even when I say that, I'm, like, trying to come up with a good scenario, and it's like, I don't even want to see it as I'm saying it, so it's like, what do you do they're teasing him with Cody. I don't really want to see Sting versus Cody. Sting's out there doing like a Dusty Rhodes impression and like mm. leaning on that relationship more than Cody even does. I don't know if that's supposed to build something between them or what. People have floated a Sting versus Kenny Omega match, which sounds no. like hell, no. like no. something that would make me turn off AEW possibly. Like, what is the good scenario here? I don't know. But I guess it's all worth it because Tony Schiavone gets to say it's Sting, which, by yeah. the way, I've watched a lot of Nitro and he didn't even really say it that much. And it's barely a thing. So let's calm down. I don't know. I You got me ranting now. I don't like to talk bad about something that other people are enjoying. So if you love Sting, if you're enjoying his AEW run, that's great. I don't get it. I'm not there with you. That's OK. We can have different opinions. But, man, it is driving me crazy. So there, there is your rant about Sting and AEW. I'm not into it. It is not complicated for me, and I wish it weren't happening. That's all yeah. I have to say. <laughs> you, you definitely. No, I was not. I was surprised. Like I'm coming. I'm coming in cold because I <laughs> I did not watch AEW, but I was offended a little bit by the his sting Tony. Sh- I get the thing because we're like we're in Tony Schiavone tribute season, but that was not for those who were really there. That's not even a real thing. That's something right. that you sell to people who kind of know WCW but didn't actually experience it. Yes. So. But that, that puts me off because, like, if you're going to take advantage of the only time that I really enjoyed wrestling, I want you to do it honestly because, you know, I'd rather not see it honored than see it honored falsely. So that that stuck in my crawl a little bit when I watched it. Um, getting to know Cody Rhodes as EVP, I feel like he's not going to let this time pass without him not, without getting a match with Sting. So I do feel like he will make that happen because I love Cody Rhodes, but he – to, for someone who attacked Triple H so early, they are not without their comparisons as far as, like, <laughs> he's going to have all the historic moments, I think, that he can get and good, you know, whatever. Darby Allen, I don't know enough. I don't know how they've been booking him. I, um, like, what do you think is supposed, like, best case scenario, everybody loves Sting versus Darby Allen. What do you think they want this to do for Darby Allen? I don't know if they have a specific goal. I think they're hoping that it would just elevate him by association, which it could do and maybe has done. You know, I won't claim that that's impossible or that it couldn't have even happened uh, to some extent already. So it's not that I don't understand the idea of it. 
I don't think there is anything specific in mind. I think the fact that, um, you know, he had those draws, those losses to Cody, he finally beat him. To me, that's a much bigger deal. Mm. But I guess if we're trying to appeal to people who are not watching Dynamite and may just show up one day to watch Sting, then I guess that's the idea is you're going to make those people understand, hey, Darby Allen's a big deal. I feel like you can understand that the second he, like, moves, but mm. not everyone feels that way. So I guess uh, that's the idea with that. Mm. This is why it's so hard to book wrestling, because the same way you gain viewers is the same way you lose viewers. <laughs> you know, just gamble and everything, because you as a legit AEW fan, I know there's a lot of AEW fans that are enjoying Sting, yeah. but you're actually put off by this, whereas so I'm someone who never watches AEW, but actually tuned in to see what Sting would do, <laughs> you know. But then it you got to me t- a little when you said that, I have to admit, the fact that Sting is a draw to you after all we've been through. I understand the curiosity. I'm just telling you, it hurt me just a little bit to hear that. Yeah, I think I did it for not for Darby Allen, but for Dakota Rose because, Fair. you know, you are curious if you're someone who's watched wrestling since 1991 and the son of Dusty, uh, the son of Dusty Rhodes, you know, because just like Flair, Flair gets all the credit, but like Dusty Rhodes is a booker, a head guy. You don't get Sting and Lex Luger the way you get them without Dusty Rhodes alongside Ric Flair because Dusty was booking a lot of this. So you, I, I want to see how it's going to go. I also think Sting did some of his best work. I've said this a hundred thousand times in TNA. I think he did better work than he did a lot of times in WCW or I don't even count WWE because my God, what a shame that was, <laughs> what a shame you know, yeah. and also he's 61. Like I honestly, yeah. I was a little bit curious because, you know, I think we got to draw some lines. I don't want to be ageist and I don't even think this is ageist, but I think there's some realities like, I used to be afraid that Ric Flair was going to die in the ring. Oof, yeah. And it's not something to be proud of. Oh, my God, he loves it so much he's going to die in the ring. Like, that's not a bad job. Oh, that's, that's bad and sad and not good. Oh, yeah. Well. And Sting's in his 60s now. And what's he going to – like, we have joked on this show that he is famous for being able to leap really high. <laughs> you know, so what's he going to do? Uh, it's got to be cinematic, and you cannot abuse it. He, he should not wrestle more than two or three matches, and they might not should be matches, and they might not even should be whatever they're going to be. Yeah. I don't know. We're, this has just gone off the rails. I'm sorry if we offended people who are enjoying this. <laughs> like, I really thought you were going to give a complicated answer about, like, how great it is in some ways or how bad it is in others. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but you you definitely had already had your opinion <laughs> uh, set up there. So, if you know, we talked about them- great you know i won't complain about something which helps them at the end of the day yes i will but not not as stridently um but yeah just on a personal level and this is i'm not i've never been like a business guy like i'm not i'll look at the ratings for curiosity but i'm not like so invested in them you know as long as AEW is doing well enough to succeed then i'm fine with that so it you know oh sting drew a big number or kenny omega drew a big number Eh, but were they shit when they did that? Mm. If they were, like, why do I care, you know? So, I don't know. It, It's not for me. I've accepted in wrestling. Not everything will be for me. It'll never be. You know, if you expect it will be, then you'll just be unhappy all the time. And I, I'm a pretty happy wrestling fan. But, um, you know, you asked me point blank about staying in AEW, and I'm going to tell you a thing or two about it. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, just the fact that, like, <sighs> I've seen wrestlers – in their 60s, who are still good, you know, um, you know, certain luchadors, guys who work very technical style, work certain kind of matches, you know, I've seen it happen, it can be, Sting ain't it, this dude like shattered his neck into powder, 
six yeah. years ago. And, uh, you know, he's not getting more healthy. He's getting less. So, so yeah, it ain't happening for me. Like, dear God, don't let this guy hurt himself again. So, I don't know. We'll see. I honestly forgot we were covering WrestleMania 6. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, you know who we have in the next match, and that's why we don't want to talk about uh, it. So. Yes. Yeah, so if there's anyone who's like, man, we don't want to hear your hot takes on AEW, get back to it. Well, guess what? Sean Mooney is with Brutus the Barber Beefcake, who is going to do something more offensive than the worst take of Sting being in AEW because Mr. Perfect has a perfect record, which goes so well with his gimmick. It makes him something more than a six foot whatever. It makes him a guy who contends with Hulk Hogan. It makes him a guy who can be in the world title scene. When we talked about how impossible it is to even be in the IC, he's got a perfect record. And we're going to give it away. Brutus the Barber Beefcake is here to take away. He's here to shred the perfect record of Kurt Hennig. The only uh, good thing about this is that the, the interview with Sean Mooney starts with Sean Mooney exclaiming, Brutus, the barber beefcake, what in the world are you doing? And just, I'm sure he heard that a lot in locker rooms just because he's a pervert doing perverted things back there. So, yeah, I don't know. It's bad. I, I'm not looking forward to uh, the outcome of this match. Yeah. The matchup starts a little awkward. It looks like they're both expecting the other guy to do something, and they kind of just freeze a couple of times with neither guy uh, fulfilling any offense. Just like kind of like paused uh, in front of each other. So I don't know what's going on there, but then it eventually gets into kind of typical uh, beefcake gets the advantage, Henning's bumping for him, uh, that kind of thing starts going on uh, early in the matchup. This is a case where just by sheer willpower and amazing bumping like mr perfect is really i think doing everything in his power on god's green earth to make this a passable match and and he almost gets there i'll give him credit it's quite miraculous i think that this wasn't worse than it was just because mr perfect really gave about 300 percent effort out there at times with his bumping um so i'll give him credit to that but beyond that there's nothing really to say about this match like beefcake he is what he is he's as bad as he always is um i don't know yeah there's just not a lot to say here yeah i, I think it's credit to kurt hennig because i would not be happy with losing this matchup but he goes right. out there and gives you the kurt hennig effort uh there's a scroll uh used it looks like kurt hennig might get the victory for a moment but it's not to be there's some babyface perspective versus heel as Girl Monsoon says some idiot on the outside. And Jesse says, he's not an idiot. He's a genius. And he's like, well, he is an idiot in my book. <laughs> and I was thinking, if Hacksaw came out and called himself the genius, Girl Monsoon would call him a genius. <laughs> yep. That's the other side of it. It's all about uh, whose ox is being gored, as they say. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> okay. So how does he win? Do you remember? Because I don't have it in my notes. I'll read you my note. Uh, suddenly beefcake just wins very lame ending that's all i have i think okay. it was very anticlimactic out of nowhere um just just a weird sudden ending to perfect uh perfect streak that's sad it is sad it is and after the match is also sad because uh the genius tries to leave the ring with the clippers which seems very reasonable to me yeah that you would not let your client be assaulted with a couple of fucking knives that the other guy brought down. But, of course, Beefcake goes after him, 
and Monsoon defends it because uh, he's losing all his integrity. And then <laughs> he goes back, he gets the big scissors, and then he just, like, produces a smaller scissors anyway from God knows where, <laughs> and he cuts some of the genius's hair, and it just goes on for way too long. And, yeah, I was not a fan of this, obviously. Yeah, and I also didn't realize I hit more notes. So Perfect didn't hit the turnbuckle. He hit, like, above the turnbuckle, I think, and knocked himself out is how it ended. Oh, yeah, um, that sounds about right. Yeah, and then, like you said, you expect this absurdity after the match. I've started – there's some wrestlers, if they win, but especially if they don't, I just start skipping ahead because you're going to get the same after math, after math in all of their matches. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Genius gets a haircut, and we move on. Uh, Gene Erkeland is with Roddy Piper, and we know that he's going to be painted uh, in this affair. So we get a lot of uh, two-faced references and this, that, and the other in the promo. This was all, I'll say, this is probably my most disappointing match and feud, maybe in the whole yeah. Legacy series, because I was I was actually looking forward to this in spite of the blackface. Like I know that's going to be awkward, but I still think the match could be good. I feel like there's a feud here that could be dug into, but we actually see in the clips that they show that there's really hardly any feud. Like they fought at the Rumble and they sort of like insulted each other a few times, and like you know these two could have done a lot more, but they don't. And then it's just Piper with the blackface, and like the match is really. Not that good. No, it's and, not. Yeah, I don't know. It's very disappointing because I think these two can be great. And uh, especially Bad News Brown usually does deliver in these matches. And yet it just does not come off. I was very disappointed here. Yeah, it's rather flat. Like, yeah. if, you, if you think there's going to be three portions to the match, the entire match is kind of what I would think the first portion of the match is going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, it starts off with the back and forth, the fighting, and you think it'll evolve into something that will evolve into something, but it just spills out on the floor and ends, and it's like, oh wow, okay, so that, that was it. Yeah. The narrative of this is so strange as well, because at times Jesse Ventura is not even on Bad News Brown's side, and yet, how can you not be on his side? Because Piper's out here being like so disrespectful and so just like acting out in uh, inappropriate ways. Bad News Brown barely did anything to him, and now this is, like, this is his go-to. It's weird, and, like, Piper is, like, putting on a weird glove and beating up Brown, and even Monsoon is like, why is this legal? This is very suspicious. Yeah. Um, And then Piper just, like, attacks Brown with a chair, and I don't know, like, how is Bad News Brown the guy in this situation? So, I don't know. They both get counted out. This is very disappointing, so I... I you know, even if you put the blackface thing aside, and why would you? But even if you did, this just should have been a lot better. I don't know what the hell happened here. Yeah, and the blackface kind of just stands into for what the problem is. It's like yeah. built into these two, you have the perfect feud, but then you go to something that is not necessary at all. So you spend yourself where you shouldn't instead of where you should, and the match feels like another reflection of that. Like there's just inherently you think they have to have a great matchup and somehow it's like, let's put a lot of story and a, like a glove and all these, like, no, just like, just fight each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Like if these guys had just gone out there and slugged it out, I think this would have been a hundred times better. And for God's sakes, why is there not more of a feud going into this? These are two guys yeah. who I think excel in their ability to kind of like tell a story before the matches even happen. Like they're both, they come off very tough you know, they have a lot of personality. 
Why is there not more of that in there? I think by this time next year, Bad News Brown will be gone. So some of these guys, you know, they stick around until they're just, like, past all possible relevance. Some guys, like, Bad News Brown, he's getting matched with Piper, of a few Jake Roberts still. Like, he's in these high-profile situations, but he'll leave. And I've never, like, read the story about this, but it's probably just due to this problem he's having with yeah. this company. You know, there's the story of, like, people being racist backstage and Bad News yeah. Brown not putting up with it. And, uh, you know, people not not liking that, uh, you know, he didn't just kind of take it. I don't know. It's like a whole complicated situation. It just kind of makes me sad because I think Bad News Brown is great. And... I think it's also, even back then, the part-time wrestler just never works as well as we want to pretend like it can or should. Yeah. And like Piper just feels like he's making a guest appearance where he makes a few, oh, uh, I'm saying some funny things about him. Then I'm having something kind of like a match, yeah. you know, but it doesn't feel like a full-time wrestler giving a full-time effort in this. I can't fully accept that either, though, because we've seen Piper and Rick Rude, and they had, like, the, the fight on primetime, and they did a bunch of stuff over there, and then you have, uh, like, later on, he'll fight with Bret Hart, and there'll be a great story going into the, that match, and that'll be one of the best Roddy Piper matches and feuds ever. So, like, you can't tell me it's not possible. Like, they just didn't put the work in, you know? So it's yeah. disappointing. 1991 is also where we get the... Um, pilot for the, the, the tag team show with Jesse and Piper. So I think that was going on. I think they're trying to, mm. uh, he's trying to plug that is what he was trying to do. I honestly don't even know what that is. So, <laughs> uh, Jesse Ventura and Roddy Piper had a TV show together, but it got canceled, I think, after maybe one episode or early on. That's, huh. Yeah, they were the stars of the show. I think it was called Tag Team or something like that. That's crazy that I don't know about that. That yeah. that's that's really interesting. I'm gonna have to. Look I wish to God it had been successful, whether it was good or not, because it's just like you said, it's yeah. But they were the stars of it. They were and uh, yeah, that the, sounds the, like something from another dimension. So all right, cool. Yeah. And he says, um, "That's my tag team partner." <laughs> so I think he's referencing tag team. I don't know if that's the name. I wondered of it or why not. he said that. I guess that does make sense now, but they don't really talk about it at all. Nah. Like I would have picked up on it. So that's super. Man, this is tripping me out. You ever get that, like, Mandela effect where you think maybe you just, like, slipped into a very, very closely parallel universe where only, like, one thing is different? I'm having that right now. That's super yeah, weird. You should. I like that you're having that because that's <laughs> – yeah, it's called Tag Team. Okay. I'm going to have to look it up. That's crazy. But, yeah, no, what a disappointing match. Just should have meant a lot better. Piper's better than this. Brown's better than this. Um, I think Brown was willing to put the work in. I really like to put this on Piper. I think – feels like took the lazy way out he he was the bad piper where he just sort of like made manic jokes and said the first thing that came into his mind um so yeah i don't know i it, it just very disappointing yes so real real quick from imdb tricky rick <laughs> tricky rick mcdonald and billy the body youngblood are two of the best wrestlers in the country they are told to take a dive by the wife of a promoter if they don't she will make sure they are blackballed from wrestling when they don't do what she says, they are fired immediately. They try many jobs without any success. When they stop a grocery store robbery, they get the idea to be cops. So begins a new chapter in the life of this tag team. Bad guys, watch out. Wow. So much that could be unpacked there. but uh... <laughs> It's doing a lot, that's for sure. It's very ambitious. <laughs> it has to be a wife of a promoter. That yeah. It can't be the promoter. It's got to be a woman that they can, like... All right, I'm done. I'm not going to get into that. That's yeah. crazy. I may have to dig up that pilot just for the sheer insanity of it. So, folks, there you go with that. Uh, this matchup, 
a double count out, you know, uh, just right. Nobody another... can win either. Like they can't even bother. Yeah. But yeah, whatever. This is done. Because then you get to kind of, and this happens a lot in this era. Are they both so tough that nobody can win? Or are they both so pathetic that nobody can win? And you can make the assessment <laughs> either way you want to. Yep, absolutely. So we get a Russian national anthem skit. I don't know who this guy is. I've never looked him up, but apparently he's somebody. <laughs> this is uh, Steve <laughs> Allen. My dad used oh. to talk about him. And, uh, okay. you know, I, I think he actually he does an okay job. You know, yeah. he's got his shtick. He's got a bit of comedy. You know, he, he comes off very smoothly. I think as celebrities go, he actually did fairly well. Yeah, he's in a canon, I think, of certain type of celebrity. Uh, I think we've already seen at least one. I think Mr. Baseball was kind of like this. Sure, sure. Um, I think some others will be, you know, where he you can tell he understands at least what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> yep, yep. He has a piano in the showers, and uh, Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov are going to, like, sing with him, but he keeps playing the wrong song and kind of, like, insulting them slyly. So it's yeah. a bit of shtick. I enjoyed it as celebrity bits go. Yes, and we will see him again later with the Rhythm and Blues, who will be performing later in the show. Can't believe that happened on this show. This is like a long show, isn't it? It's like it is. A There's a lot of show. matches. Oh my God. Uh, the Hart Foundation then taking on the Bolsheviks after they go through such a traumatic event backstage. <laughs> I guess it really threw them off because the Hearts win in about 20 seconds. And, hey, it saved us from having to watch this match. So thank God for that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I always wonder about these. I've talked about this, like, people who are in their era or past their era. Like, are they being jobbed out in a way because, like, oh, you're still under contract, but we don't really care about you? Or does Vince have a soft spot for them, so you should already be gone, but we're keeping you on, but we're not going to do much with you? Like, you know, what is the perspective during uh, things like this? I bet with Nikolai, it's a soft spot, because this is a guy who wrestled Bruno in main events, like, in the early 70s, been around a long time. Um you know, and uh, I think he's well-liked, so they're like, well, we know you're old, you're not really popular, can't do a lot, we're going to keep you on, we're going to keep paying you, and you know, if you wrestle on WrestleMania, I think you get, like, a bonus for, like, mm, the buy yeah. rate and all this stuff, which is one of the reasons they throw so many people on these cards, uh, so everyone gets their payday, so I, I feel like that's the reason, and honestly, it's probably the best thing you can do with Nikolai Volkov at this point, because in time... He's going to turn face and be American and team with Jim Duggan. And it's going to be a whole, like, gross thing. So I'd rather see him doing these 20-second jobs than doing that. So, you know, that's something here. I wonder, because Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon are going to go long in their ladder match. And I think a 10-man tag gets cut. So <laughs> do, they, do they still get their bonus? or do they I take the so. ten? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's rough, yeah. No, I've heard of stuff like that happening, so uh, I sure hope they do. I'll just say that. Yeah, you would think that they have to. It's not to, their or... fault, yeah. They'd be mad, yeah. so. So Gene Erkelin is with Tito Santana, who is going to go one-on-one with a newly singles <laughs> oh, barbarian. Before that, though, I got to say, yes. and it's really sad because they do this several times, actually, yes. and they've never done this before, and they've yes. never done this after, and they were just tempting God to strike them with a lightning bolt. We yes. see a commercial where Vince McMahon all but screams that WrestleMania 7 will shatter all attendance records, and they show, like, the huge stadium they're going to have it in, and, man, like, they could not be more cocky about the next WrestleMania, and it will absolutely just explode in their face, and it's kind of funny, and it's kind of sad, and it's just surreal that it happened at all, because, like I said, this will never happen again or before or it's just it's surreal that this happened 
Yeah, it's throughout the entirety of the night. They're going to ask Mary Tyler Moore about it in the crowd. So I wonder, again, the kind of the same question I just asked, like which side of the edge is this? Is this arrogance because of how big they've been? Or is it on the other side seeing the fact that they're sliding and it's a desperate way to like almost like speak it into existence? <laughs> I'm really going to go with the former, honestly. I, I think my impression is Vince McMahon thought he could do anything at this time. He's mm. like, I'm going to replace Hogan because it was all me and I'm just going to book it and it'll yeah, be a great luck. success. And I made a movie and maybe it didn't do as well, but we're going to make more movies anyway. And, you know, we'll just keep going up and up and up and up forever uh, and it's not going to happen. And um, I don't know. That's just my vibe that I get off of it. And yeah. California. Here we come is in the <laughs> promo. <laughs> oh, God. It's it's funny in a painful way or maybe sad in a funny way. I don't know. But like it just it's surreal. So I had to speak on it. Just the strangeness of, of the fact that this happened. <laughs> but I thought they, they, they were able to feel it, but they just had to move because of a bomb threat. Oh, right. Ms. Yeah, of course. Like this weird <laughs> face saving story I, yeah i don't know because it's much easier to stop a bomb threat in like a twenty thousand. you see you know it makes a huge yeah. difference so my god <sighs> it is also yeah, they they drop dramatically you know <laughs> or maybe you could just move locations but maybe find somewhere where you can uh, just have fifty thousand or sixty thousand <laughs> if you can get a hundred thousand i wonder if they had bomb threats on the next like 10 wrestlemanias also you know and that's yeah. why they kept having them in the small state small arenas so it's sad. There's no way to know. Like Bruce Richard says it, everybody knows it. This is the last big WrestleMania for a long time, and I don't think you're able to see it. I don't think this is a fully determined thing. No. I think there are still decisions that are made. I think it's sliding in a certain direction, but there's no way to know as you are in Canada with over 60,000 fans yeah. that this is the end for a long time. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, uh, it could have rebounded, I think, depending on a lot of different factors, some in their control and some not. And uh, instead, yeah, it's going to slide down for many years and uh, only come back when Steve Austin blows up. Yeah. All right. So Tito and Barbarian. Tito says uh, mentions uh, the rodent uh, manager of the Barbarian. So that's an interesting way to say weasel. <laughs> Indeed. Yes, Bobby Heenan is with the Barbarian now. He's still selling from Andre, which you have to appreciate. But uh, here he is with his client, showing that family love. Barbarian, a guy who will be with the family all the way to its end, and even actually sort of past it in a way that I will talk about later. So here we are. This is like Coco Beware, where Tito has nothing to do with his talent or lack thereof, but you can tell every time he's in there that he is booked just to put the other guy over. Like, I knew who was going to win this matchup, and it had nothing to do with the Barbarian. It had to do with the fact he was wrestling Tito Santana. Yep. Before the match, Gene Okerlund praises Tito for being at every WrestleMania. Mm. He will uh, do the job at every WrestleMania except the first one, so that will be wow. his, his role for like the first ten years of this event. So, Man, that's something. And we're going to get Tito and Shawn Michaels at is it eight? I think so, yeah. Because yeah. it's right. Tonka at nine. And then, yeah, okay, yeah, it must be eight. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if I've seen that match, actually. That'll be interesting to get to, because Tito, he's still good. Like, this match is very much a parallel to me to the opening match, Martel and Coco, where mm-hmm. it's two talented guys. They do a good short match with just nothing behind it, no heat, really. Um, and it's just sort of there, and it's good. You can appreciate the good work they're doing, but, um, you know, there's really just nothing kind of, there's no substance there. Yeah. 
The only thing that of note for me is, man, he takes his head off with that flying clothesline finish at the end. He does. He does. Barbarian's great. Barbarian's a guy we'll always uh, try to praise. Um, we kind of it's the first time we saw Barbarian in the series with WCW, his weird main event push that failed, and we kind of crapped on him. And I think you know he shouldn't have been in that role, but for the most part, Barbarian always does very well in like every other role he's got. So I, I always want to especially praise him on this show for the good things that he can do. Yeah, and I think it's also a sign of the times, whether it's Earthquake or Barbarian. I, I feel like they are willing. If someone got hot, they're they're willing to run with anything right now because. We really are at this finality for a lot of people and a lot of things, and we really got to get some things off the ground, you know, in order to keep going. Yeah, yeah, but for all that, they don't really put a lot of effort into trying to make this stuff hot. You know, the Earthquake, yeah, he'll get a moment, but, like, they'll never do anything with Barbarian. You know, they'll never do anything, again, really, with Tito Hartley or, you know, Martell or all these other guys we talked about. So maybe they're trying to put him on screen, but... Like, that energy. I don't know what it was exactly. I felt like we had much better inciting incidents in the past. That's something we've talked about, too. That's something that may end up kind of being lacking in the years to come. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, the the last few years, there's been a taken-for-grantedness that certainly was not there in earlier years. Oh, yeah. Like, in the the mid-'80s, like, to WrestleMania three. God, they scratched and clawed for everything. They punched up with all Mm. their might. And now, you know, they're just sort of riding high and bragging, oh, you know, we'll have a, a you know, 200,000 people next year. And, you know, <laughs> it's just like, it'll just happen. So, yeah, totally different vibe. Absolutely. Man, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's almost, you can predict life cycles so easily. Like Vince McMahon destroyed everybody and everything and rose to the top in a way that almost guarantees the next phase, which is first the wrestling industry is going to humble him you know, starting with next year and then the whole legal thing is coming after that. So it's almost like equal proportions of what he gave out and what he conquered versus kind of the way down on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we are headed that way, but right now barbarian, that's an emphatic win. It was a kind of easy win for the barbarian. I think it was a statement for the barbarian, whether it goes anywhere or not. Uh, Sean Mooney, (laughs) is with Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire. We are about to get into the Randy Savage, Sherry, Dusty Rhodes, Sapphire matchup. Oh, man. I'll say I'll say two things. They're a little bit contradictory, but I think we'll be able to score them. First, this is probably my second favorite match on the card. This is very fun. I'm looking forward to a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about in this match. But the second thing is, and similar to the Piper-Brown feud, not as extreme, but similar, we look at the clips for the feud, and you realize... There is almost nothing here. You know, this is always a feud I was curious about. I'm like, man, there must be, like, some great segments, some great story. No, they were on, like, Brother Love that one time. That's pretty much it. Like, nothing else really happened. WWE phoned in this WrestleMania. It really feels like that. Like, so many of these matches, even if they have a feud, they almost still don't have a feud because almost nothing kind of happened. I don't know if they were too concerned about, like, the next movie they were making or they just kind of, like, assumed, well, it'll be successful anyway with Hogan and Warrior, so who cares about the rest of it? Even that match has, like, very little behind it besides the fact that, hey, here's two guys. We built up a lot. Now they're going to fight, you know? You look at the stories they've told in past WrestleManias, and this one, I think it really just doesn't compare. I think that's a fair assessment, even if I don't want it to be. (laughs) 
you know, and it, you have to almost do the legacy series to understand how much that's a fair statement. Yeah. Like I was more surprised by what they did earlier than what they're doing now. <laughs> but now that we saw what they did earlier, now I am surprised by what they're doing here. And we didn't really ever get, and I, I there's some things I'm going to praise. Like I think just the entrances of Dusty Rose, Sapphire, Sherry, and Savage, it put, ranks it as a great WrestleMania moment. It's so beautiful, colorful, yeah. but we are watching a King versus Commoner. We're not we're not getting Dusty Rose versus Randy Savage. We're, we're getting King versus Commoner primarily. Right, right, yep. It's not. Uh, it's still good. It's really good. Like I said, I actually like this match a lot. But you think about like the top tier of what Dusty versus Savage could be, and it it's, it's just not quite that. Yeah, it's a weird thing to try to call this because I'm going to tell you that I love parts of this. But sure. if you asked me, did I ever see a, a, a program between Randy Savage and Dusty Rose, my answer would be no. Right, yeah. Sad but true. You know, the program is really what's lacking here. They they can still do fun stuff together. Of course, they're going to. Look at who's involved. But, uh, yeah, it's just not what it could have been for sure. Uh, they say that there's no king and queen. Uh, they're missing something to be king and queen. And they say you want to be crowned. Uh, we can get the job done. <laughs> and, yeah, I'll stick up again. We've talked about this before. Dusty and Sapphire is a good pairing. Yes. I feel like Sapphire gets a lot of crap, um, probably because uh, in the ring she's not, like, very impressive. You know, she is what she is. Uh, I don't know if that was the best role to put her in. And yet, um, I'm, I'm still liking Sapphire and everything that she does. And this pairing, I enjoy it. Uh, you know, for what it is, it, it, it's quite enjoyable, I think. We are now to the end of it, as far as I'm concerned, and I have zero negative comments about Sapphire. Yeah. And if, if she got in there, she was a great wrestler. To me, it would be worse than what we got. Because <laughs> it wouldn't have made sense. Cause no, supposed to be, yeah, it no, makes no good sense. Point. Good point. She's a fan of Dusty Rhodes, who was such a fan, you know, that she got swept up into this storyline. And, like, if you really won't do it, like, if you care about story and character – you know, think about that. Like Hulk Hogan trained Gene Oakland and he was still Gene Oakland, you know, is not going <laughs> to be a great wrestler. But that's what makes it so amazing. Like there's a bravery, and especially with the commoner gimmick, like a king and queen. Like you're either going to be an evil king and queen or you're going to be a brave and selfless. And they are evil and they could give and they could do and they don't. And then you got someone who has nothing, not even the capabilities to wrestle because she's not a wrestler, but they're brave and they care, and they have the components of a king and queen that you would want in them. And she stands up to Sherry, even though she doesn't really have the skills to do so, mm. but it's just an act of bravery and care. Yep. That's a great way to put it. You know, uh, the only the only credibility I give to the other side is for how fierce Sherry is and uh, for how great she is. You could make the case that she really should have torn somebody's head off if they weren't ready for them. But, you know, just I think you just look at the way it's worked. And for me, you got to say, hey, this actually does work. Like, it's over with the fans. You know, it does make sense of the story, just like you said. I don't know. I, I find it very enjoyable. I really have no uh, complaints about it either. And she also never stays in the ring long with Sherry. True. Very true. Yeah, you know, it, they, they cheat. Well. Dusty Rhodes comes in. So I think that, that gives credibility to the fact that if she had been in the ring with Sherry, if it was a one-on-one match with Sherry, she might have bumped her around a few times with her body like she did at the beginning, but after that, Sherry's going to have her way with her. But, like, they didn't allow it to happen. They had a strategy. Yep, absolutely so. And uh, speaking of strategy, they have another strategy for this match because when they all come out, Dusty Rhodes gets on the mic and he reveals they have something extra. They have the crown jewel, quote-unquote, 
and he mm. brings out Elizabeth and poor Randy Savage. He just cannot get away from this. Um, and I'll say for Liz, considering the way she's going to act next year when she reunites with Savage or two years from now, I think. Uh, no, no next year. Next year. Yeah. Uh, when she reunites, she sure doesn't manage kind of like managing against him and um, messing with his life. Um, so the interesting relationship between them continues. Yeah. I do think there's something wonderful in the greater scheme that at WrestleMania, you find out for better or worse, he cannot escape like this storyline, <laughs> you know? So the fact that it's going to come together next year, even though in some ways, you know, you might argue it doesn't make sense because, but I think also, I think the only way she could get Savage's attention is to show him, like I'm strong enough to do without you and you either can come back and you can do better or you can be the one that gets left behind because I don't think Savage is going to respond to anything less than that. Very true. And you know, context is important also here is Savage, like with Sherry full of bluster and rage yes. and kind of like at his worst. And you know, he, he never treated Liz very well either. So you can't really blame her for wanting to come in and kind of like yeah. mess with his day. So I, I don't have a big problem with it. You know, a year can change things. Context will change things. It's just kind of funny to think about, though. It is. It is. Um, I think it's wonderful. I think it's it's like the match. I, I definitely can look at the match and say it's not the greatest match of all time. But I can also find wonderful things in it. Right. We made the Disney comparisons from the beginning. Yep. They're coming down to the ring. Girl Monsoon says, she looks like something from Snow White. <laughs> about <laughs> Sherry. So, uh, yeah, no, Liz, you, that comment could have been about Liz, too. You know, yeah. like they're they're the two different sides of that. Absolutely. I don't know if this is a praise or a slander to WWF because I'm happy I got to call this match. But when you watch them come down to the ring, you can both be thankful for what WWF gave you. And you can think about, my God, these are the people they have on roster and they can't do better than this. Yeah. Like I said, the big criticism I would put against this is, yeah, the story behind it was very lacking, almost non-existent. You've got two great storytellers once again, and I don't know, in a different year, I think a whole lot more would have gone into this than than actually did. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, all that said, I did really enjoy this match. Um, you got Sherry, who will haul off and punch Dusty like every chance she gets. She's got no fear of this man, absolutely, and I just adore Sherry, everything she does. Um, you know, the way they bump around as well, both Savage and Sherry, like they, they really make this match a lot of the time just with their energy, their physicality. Um, she, uh, Sapphire does a fine job. She she kind of hip bumps Sherry around, mm -hmm. spins her around, plays to her strengths. Just a lot of fun stuff in here. You know, it's some very good stuff. It is, and in a match – where Savage and Sherry are going to lose, you can tell Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire have created the kind of hijinks and nature of the match that favors them. Yep, yep, absolutely. It's uh, it's just very well done. You know, if they were going to go this route, and maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't have, but they did, and I think they did about as well as they possibly could with the route that they went. Yeah, you really get the feeling that they were under, they underestimated them. Mm -hmm. They never got to control the match. They had to plan with Elizabeth. They had to plan in the ring. It kind of was like dysfunctional in a way that favored Dusty and Sapphire. And it's one of those ways, and we're going to see it later in the promos after the match, they got bested. And so there's something that goes together with Elizabeth being there and them not being ready for that 
and what happens in the matchup. Like this is a humbling experience for two people who are not ready to be humbled at all. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, and yet they still uh, are almost winning this match at times because yes. uh, you've got Sherry giving the frog splash to the dream, which was great. You've got a, a big advantage for the heels at times. So they really almost take it anyway. Yeah. And uh, yet the difference maker is that Liz who never, never really lifted a finger to help mm-hmm. Savage. But now she'll she'll throw Sherry back in the ring. She'll get involved. She'll distract Sherry for a Sapphire to do a roll up and actually get the win. So a lot of acting out from Liz, who's only moved up to this point, has been running backstage to get Hulk Hogan to help her. So now now she finds a little bit of agency for herself. So interpret that as you will. Yeah, it's a prominent moment. And. I hate it because, like, we learn as human beings from suffering, and you look back at anything you suffer from, and you're like, I never want to go through that again. But I also never want to lose what I learned from it. And, you know, I don't think it's an accident that Sherry is one of the most dominant and involved uh, women in the world and history of wrestling. And all of a sudden, Elizabeth has decided that she actually has to be involved at times. Oh, <laughs> uh, indeed. I, I had a thought, and I don't know if this fits in the canon, but you've got to wonder. Just just looking what will happen next year at the reconciliation, this is very much not on the surface at this time, but maybe is Randy Savage um, impressed with uh, Liz actually, you know, ha- having more agency? Is he seeing the change in her? Is there some maybe subconscious pride? Definitely not in the moment because uh, he's filled with rage, but maybe he'll look back on this moment uh, in a different way. I don't know. It's a possibility. It just occurred to me. Yeah, and I think there's something to that in the fact that when you see a couple kind of just locked into what they are, it's hard to grow. It's hard to change. They almost have to get away from each other to do any growing and changing. And so uh, Liz is doing that. Liz is showing something uh, that we've not seen before. Randy Savage is having a good run with Sherry, but like you wonder, like, where is it going to go long term? Like, what's it going to be? Is Randy Savage going to be this the rest of his life? And you kind of know the answer is no. You don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, you kind of know that eventually Randy Savage is going to be a babyface at some point in his career, whether that involves Liz or not. So, again, I like this as a in the in the bigger zoom out history of things. I like that Liz kind of set the stage of, you know what, we don't ever have to be together again. But you're not just going to do what you want to. You're not going to be void of me. Like we have a reckoning one way or the other. And WrestleMania reminds us of that. Absolutely. So you have to wonder also in in the canon of the story, do these two really want to be separated from each other? You know, Mm. they they say what they say. And yet, um, have have you ever watched the show Community at all? Yes. So maybe you remember at one point in one episode, Troy and Abed are kind of fighting and they get like Mm. the whole school involved. Eventually it kind of dies down. Yeah, they can't stop like kind of feuding with each other because they're great friends. They don't really want to be apart from each other. So I don't know. I get a little vibe of that maybe too with the fact that Liz and Savage can never really leave each other alone through all these years. Yeah, I agree a million percent. If if they found other careers – Maybe they could, but people, you so mark yourself with people sometimes in life that if you don't get far, far away and start over and have new stories and new storylines, you can't just be both in the World Wrestling Federation and act like you don't know each other. And I think <laughs> I think there is a destiny to this that their paths are going to cross. I don't think they have to get back together. I think, honestly, you know, maybe it could, it could have gone to a different reconciliation or it could have gone to a different path or 
Maybe Liz just defeats him in some way, but they're not just going to fully get away from each other. And I think that's a great uh, analogy there. Yeah, so uh, Sherry and, or no, Sapphire and uh, Dusty, they do get the win here um, with a little help from Liz. And uh, so ends, yeah, my second favorite match of the night. So, uh, you know, for all the criticisms we could throw against it, it's a really good match. God, looking forward, it might also be the last match that I actually kind of enjoyed on this show. So we'll we'll see as we go along further. But um, I'll just say again, not the strongest WrestleMania, I think, from any perspective. I was a little bit let down by some of the stuff in here. I think it, it is the perfect WrestleMania for its time in that yeah. it had the capability of being as good as they wanted it to be. And, you know, I feel like for a year or two, as good as they want it to be, effort-wise, is about 50% of what it could be. <laughs> so perfect in terms of it really represents what the company is doing yeah. right now, you mean? Yeah. yeah, I could definitely see that. We're going to see this vibe carry through, I think, in the early 91 until they finally kind of turn around into something a little different around that SummerSlam 91 time and things start actually to get to really good again for a while. I think you can honestly take the same card and double its efficiency sure. and effectiveness. I so. think so, definitely. Gene Okerlund is with Bobby the Brain Heenan post-breakup with Andre the Giant. <laughs> yes, Bobby Heenan is sweaty here. I feel like this – it feels like it was taped right after the breakup happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's been a little bit in the flow of the show. And yet, uh, yeah, Bobby Heenan is sweaty. He's ranting. He pulls out some old insults for Andre that he hasn't had in uh, three or four years. He blames Andre for standing on the apron, watching them lose the title. He swears he's going to bring in new members to the family, members who will actually listen to him. So we will see what comes of that in the coming months. Bobby says, is he lazy, incompetent? I'm through with him, and I'm starting a new family. Uh, Talking about Savage and Liz, their relationship being uh, broken up. We're seeing the same Mm -hmm. thing here. So it's sad. They won't get their chance to reconcile, I'm afraid. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm making this up because I have no memory, folks, but I'm I'm really remembering years ago, and this might again, it may be 100% false or it may be 100% true, but I feel like I remember a story where Andre the Giant did not want to hurt Bobby Heenan, and Bobby Heenan wanted it to be believable because the first time he slaps him, he doesn't even come close, and Bobby Heenan no-sells it, and then Andre beats him up. Yep. So I don't know if that story is legit or not, or if that ever happened, but for some reason in my mind – but I don't even know who would have told the story. So maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But, yeah, beautiful relationship in and out of the storyline. And I wish they had uh, longer together on the post side of this. Indeed. They they will interact a few more times. Um, but it will be more of Andre abusing Heenan. So uh, maybe we'll dig that up. Maybe we won't. Maybe it will be too painful. So we'll see. Absolutely. This is a, a good run of promos, because this, this is significant stuff. Yeah, so mean, Bobby, yeah intermission yeah, or something, because we get a lot of good promos, yeah, all in a row here, for sure. Yeah, Sean Mooney's with Savage and Sherry, and Sherry is, like, all over that bag. Like, she is frustrated. Randy Savage is frustrated. And, you know, this is finally giving some weight between Bobby Heenan and Savage and Sherry that there are consequences and these things actually matter. Uh, indeed, Sherry's having a full-on freakout in her own dimension again, which I just love. Um, Savage does say suffering builds character. He rants about Liz. He says they'll never be embarrassed again, and there's that mm-hmm. embarrassment in wrestling, yes. a big touchstone for us. Uh, I have a note that says these two are exploding beyond their assigned zone. I think mm-hmm. that um, that says a lot right there. Yeah. 
Like he says, mind games are my thing. I underlined twice, never be embarrassed again, because we have pointed out that Randy Savage's weakness is being embarrassed. Like He cannot tolerate feeling like he was embarrassed, mm. and he was upstaged, and he claims it again tonight. Yeah. To really capture that feeling of embarrassment in wrestling is so powerful. Still, maybe the best wrestling segment of all time, Terry Funk, embarrassed when his uh. challenge to Ric Flair was rejected. I don't know if anything has ever topped up that. So, whew. But before yeah. that, I gotta, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say, before that promo, we have Monsoon Adventurer, and they're talking to that lady who talked to Liz, I forget her name, but she says, this is so weird, I have no idea what to make of this, she <laughs> says, she saw Jesse Ventura in a porno, yeah. and Gorilla Monsoon wants to show the porn, <laughs> like, on the show. So, I, is this like it's the sting wants to get on in front of the little stingers moment or something? But I don't know. Monsoon really wanted to show porn to all the kids watching <laughs> WrestleMania. I have no idea what to make of that. I think the little warriors are a little darker than the Hulkamaniacs. <laughs> You're probably right they, about that. They can handle it. We're, we're in another era now. <laughs> that, that's a wild moment. Like, I forgot that I didn't write that down. But, yeah. <laughs> Jesse Ventura's face, it looks like like he really has been discovered. And right. Bill Monsoon. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Oh, my. Okay. All right. Um, I do want to say, I think that Jesse and uh, Gorilla at some points in the show, it kind of fell apart where just the whole commentary just becomes a, like, a petty argument about who the hypocrite is. It just extends through, like, four matches in a row. They were really bickering at times, yeah. yes. I think uh, if this had happened before, they would not have won awards for, um, you know, yes. having credibility with each other. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't know if it's just the way that they were booked to do it or if they were getting irritated with each other or Jesse's just in a place. But it got very small and petty between the hot dog thing that, like, I don't know how many Gosh. times Jesse accused him of eating, like, 20 hot dogs and Gorilla was just like, I haven't had any. That didn't happen, you know. <laughs> I was going to say maybe it's just the nature of the company is kind of forcing heels and babies this farther apart, but – yeah, you reminded me of the hot dog thing. That doesn't even fit in that narrative, so yeah. I have no idea what to make of that. Uh, some weird stuff happening, and again, that that's not different from other WWF times, but it's almost again. Yeah. You can just never make anything of it. Like the comedy, is this a comedy? The drama, is it a drama? Like nothing reaches a fullness. It's just things happening all over the place, and nothing coming to fullness. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Gene Oakland is with Demolition. Uh, they are rightfully boasting that they are now three-time tag team champions, and nobody thought they were going to do it for a third time. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Demolition riding high here. It's unfortunate. I think uh, by Survivor Series, that'll be it for Axe, and then uh, we'll be on to kind of the sad Demolition. Um, but right now, yeah, they're still riding high. They're doing great, so uh, I'll, I'll continue to praise them until they're not worthy of it anymore. Yeah, at least in their opinion, because I've seen some interviews, they think that somewhere Vince just wanted to kill them and was doing stuff to kind of harm their their response, their booking. So I don't know what goes on, but they are definitely they felt like they were sabotaged before it even ended. <laughs> it's hard to tell what's an intentional sabotage and what's yes. just like because Vince McMahon will give the Road Warriors a puppet before they leave. Wow. You know, so so what's a sabotage and what's just like Vince weirdness? It's really hard to tell them apart sometimes. I think anybody having an honest conversation has to have that conversation. So we're going to have to do it a hundred more times. But that is what I've learned because like listening to Bruce Pritchard too, like sometimes 
like I said, Conrad is just a like they're just gimmicks, and it's like, oh, I defend and I don't answer questions and I get mad. But at other times, you hear him legitimately defend a bad WWF idea, sure. and you really get the impression that to this day they thought it was a good idea, and the only thing that sucked is that the person could not like pull it off. <laughs> yep, Terry Taylor didn't commit to the Red Rooster hard yeah. enough, you know, just like insanity like that. So who knows, man? Sometimes these people are just like in their weird bubble. So who knows? Greg Valentine's about to have black hair and a guitar, so you know. Oh God. So like, but I don't think they're trying to sabotage him. I think in their mind, like if Rhythm and Blues got over, they're going to give him whatever comes with it. But sure, yeah. Anyway, uh, Gene Erkland, this is also kind of strange. We get Hogan and Warrior right now, and not again. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Gene is with Hulk Hogan, the greatest WWF champion of all time, says Gene Okerlund. There's a lot of handwriting on the wall. Like I, I think if I had been astute as a child and I watched this, there's ways to figure out that the Ultimate Warrior is going to defeat Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, there may be some signs here. Um, Hogan says he was hovering over the Sky Dome earlier today. It's the greatest arena of all time, of course. And uh, I don't know. I'm going to leave that alone. Um <laughs> nothing. He says there's nothing but stark raving Hulkamaniacs at the airport. He says it will be all his people in the arena. He says this is where the power lies, which is a weird Hoganism, which shows mm. up in, in subtle forms. Um, Hogan promises to get the warrior down on his knees. No comment. Uh, he says warrior should breathe. <laughs> he says warrior should breathe his last breath into Hogan's body. Yep. So Hogan can save the warrior from the darkness. Um, so some weird stuff happening in this promo. Yeah, I kind of like that comment it's too. I kind of like he says, do you want to live forever? Then breathe your last breath into my body. That's both a strange line, but there's also something really distinct about that, because I think it speaks to the fleeting nature of the ultimate warrior and the only way that you're going to live past this is, you know, through me, because I am at the end of the day. It's almost a really clever, really Hulk Hogan way to say that what happens tonight in no way speaks to what happens in the longevity of our lives. <laughs> and I also think it's a nice line to talk about. <laughs> you know, it's not how, it's not how you it's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game type thing. And then he's like, and I sure hope you're a good loser. <laughs> does say that as well that's a very generous interpretation um of that line but i like it uh, i'll assume that's what he was going for it just came off strangely to me but I'll, I'll view it a little more kindly looking back well i think the reason too i say that like it is wwf booked like this one thing i heard from the interviews that at the end of the night this is where the immortal hulk hogan like they they do the whole thing at the end yeah. to start the immortal like jesse ventura is given the line they said i really do think hulk hogan will live forever you know, yeah. so whether it's almost paying homage to Hogan, like, oh, the ultimate war, because this, this seems like the way wrestling is negotiated with egos. Like, Harley Race, like, what's better than a world champion, a king? Like, Hulk Hogan has the job to the warrior. What's better than the world title? You're going to live forever, you know. <laughs> so I can see that. And I'll say, and there's this narrative about the end of the show that I'm just going to shred to pieces because I yes. think it's completely bullshit. Because um, you can see even now, yeah, they're totally setting up to like still keep Hulk Hogan uh, strong in the spotlight. You know, they're praising him so much. They're definitely not completely moving on from this guy. Yes. They are hedging their bets. They are giving Hogan like, yeah, all these accolades and all these praises and all this stuff. So, so don't be fooled by the narratives that do not hold up to what we will actually see on this night. 
Yeah, in the breaking news, Hulk Hogan told a lie. <laughs> so indeed, indeed. Like he did not take the belt of his own accord. Like the music stops when he takes the belt to have the moment that WWF booked. <laughs> but anyway, that's later to come. The Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior actually slows down, and you can hear everything he says in this promo. So whether that's better or worse, it is a different thing. Man, if you if you had no other reason to hate the Ultimate Warrior. Here's a good reason, because he starts this promo by screaming at yeah. Sean Mooney, and Sean Mooney is great, but Ultimate Warrior screams at him that he is a normal, and he doesn't deserve to breathe the same air. And how is this guy a babyface? He hates normal people. He yeah. doesn't want you to have air. You know, it's like, I don't know, that's, all the fans should die, I guess, unless they're not like normals, unless they're warriors like him. I don't know. He's a fucking weirdo, so I don't yeah. like him. I I turned to, I didn't like Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. This isn't even book stuff, but like he pushes Earl Hebner out of the way, tells Earl Hebner to get Bret Hart out of his ring the moment Bret Hart puts him over. Like it's just terrible behavior. But that's Shawn Michaels at the time. Like that's him behaving poorly. Right. This is Ultimate Warrior, like continually booked as a heel who hates everything. Like I can't believe that he doesn't get booed before the night's over. Like, I don't like the way he treats Sean Mooney. There's stuff I can talk about in the main event. Mm. But, yeah, he pushes Sean Mooney out because he doesn't deserve to breathe the same air as Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> I think it's interesting that he, he says, Hogan, you want your ideas to live forever. So there's kind of this distinction between Ultimate Warrior is an embodied thing that does stuff, and Hulk Hogan apparently is just these ideas of Hulkamania. So that there's at least something interesting, whether it gets exploited or not, between those distinctions. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the ideas of Hogan will definitely live longer in every sense. So, sorry, Warrior. Um, he says something about he will bring the Hulkamaniacs and the Warriors together as one. What he will actually do is drive off Hulkamaniacs in droves yeah. in the end. So that should tell you what you need to know. There's some weird explanations of the darkness I speak of is nothing to fear. So he's like kind of just in case you don't know what I'm about or you don't like it, you know, don't worry. I'm going to include the Hulkamaniacs. I'm not I'm not bad. You know, yeah. I don't know if they know what Ultimate Warrior is supposed to be. And he's about to win the world title from Hulk Hogan and take the company into the 90s. I, I don't know. I will ask this and we'll never get an answer because these kind of people will never listen to this show because they're long gone, but how many people, I wonder, stopped watching wrestling forever while the Ultimate Warrior was champion? Mm. You know, because we're going to see a huge drop-off in viewership and pay-per-view buy rates and all that stuff. For how many people was Warrior the end of the line? I really wonder. Yeah, and you get what the mission statement is. He says, you carried the company for five WrestleManias, and I come to take what you believe in further than it's ever been. <laughs> He will take it nowhere. He will take it down the tube. <laughs> so goodbye, buddy. Like that. Yeah, I think that's the clearest statement of what they at least wanted to see happen. Yep. Hulk Hogan has at least said for all the the nonsense that we'll get to later, he said that at this time he was not treating wrestling the way that like it deserved to be treated. Like he was burnt out. He was hurt. He never took time off. He was thinking about Hollywood and other endeavors. Like that he like he was not giving it what he used to give it. I think that will become uh, even more clear in the next year or two. Yeah. Um, I've talked before about how he got very lazy with his promos, and every promo was just like, oh, my opponent will kill children, basically. And like, right. It's like he's not even thinking about it hardly. So I, I think that will be borne out. Again, it's just very different from what we saw um, in years past, you know, in those uh, 
years when they were really kind of like clawing their way up the ladder and now they're kind of uh, at the top or what they perceive to be the top. And it's like, well, you know, okay, we're here. Let's just kind of coast along. And uh, what you don't realize is when you coast, you tend to coast down. Yeah, exactly. And it's got to be the most human thing when you get over. Like, I don't care what industry you're in. You got to start thinking all I got to do is go out and say the thing and they're going to react the way they react because I am invincible at this point. Yeah. How many guys we've talked about before, how many guys are at their best before they win the world title? You know, the run up to like the biggest success is the best thing that happens in their whole careers. It's kind of like that for Hogan. It's kind of like that for the WWF. And this is one reason why Hogan worked as champion, because I felt like he was always trying to punch higher. Like he didn't just become champion and be like, oh, I'm at the top now. I can kind of relax. No, like he wanted to elevate what it meant to be champion to be at the top of the wwf and i do give him credit for that it's one reason he worked out so well for so long and when he stops doing that as he kind of has now we're gonna see the hulk hogan which kind of you know made everybody hate hulk hogan you know he'll get booed at the rumble in a couple years probably even before that you know so it's a whole thing it is well we'll get into it a little bit more it's also a wwf thing i think anytime I don't care what you call sports entertainment. You're still a professional wrestling company, however you define that. And the minute that you decide that it's a bigger deal to do stuff outside your industry than inside it, then you also help produce this kind of behavior. Yeah, absolutely. So we got Orient Express and Rockers uh, next up. (laughs) Yeah, here's another match that uh, I thought was decent but had like kind of nothing behind it. I'm hearing some disgusted sounds from you, so I'm thinking you were not maybe into this match. It wasn't bad, but I mean, on paper, if you put what it was versus what you would expect it to be, I don't think, I think there's quite a gap between them. Yeah, I have almost no notes about this. Um, I I thought it was fine, but yeah, really nothing happens. It's funny, I think it's at the Rumble next year that they will have the same match or maybe just one different member of Orient Express, and it will be, be very highly praised and rightfully so. So just a real world of difference between that and this. I have really nothing else to say about it. Um, some salt gets Orient Express the count out win, which I think we saw against Demolition as well. So Orient Express getting kind of a weird small push here. Yeah. My only note is that there's been times in these years where I was like, I wonder how they knew the difference between Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. Like they're both seem like they're about as good as each other. They look about the same. I feel like Michaels is becoming more and more distinct and Marty Jannetty is starting to fade a little bit. I think Michaels is pulling ahead, certainly. Uh, I, I always had a soft spot for Jannetty. I think he tends to do well, even kind of past his time. But uh, definitely Shawn Michaels, I think, is pulling ahead. You can kind of yeah. really notice it at this point. So Steve Allen uh, is with Rhythm and Blues. They have a performance coming up later in the night. Uh, Honky Tonk Man is kind of driving the conversation, but Greg Valentine is there. Uh, with his new gimmick, and so this is kind of our introduction to these guys. Yes, finally, what I've been uh, prophesying for years has happened. Greg Talentine has the black hair. He's in rhythm and blues. He kind of lost his whole identity. He was just consumed by Honky Tonk Man. Um, you hate to see it, but it is what it is. I will say this was the funniest part of the show to me. Steve Allen was actually very hilarious, basically just talking about how rhythm and blues suck the whole time and making jokes about it. And uh, I appreciated him for that because they do suck. And uh, Steve Allen was funny about it. Yeah, he has a response for everything. So Valentine says, we're on our way to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's like, well, I'll, I'll alert them uh, <laughs> uh, that you're coming. So. Uh, yeah, so many small comments. Um, you know, I, I appreciate that. Some good stuff. Praise to Steve Allen, for sure. So we're back up at the ring. It's Dino Bravo going one-on-one with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> 
you know bravo shocking me every time he shows up and is still with the company um yeah so <laughs> that's he's lasted right a there. long time yeah and guess what they mentioned in this matchup <sighs> yep they'll never ever stop talking about that stupid weightlifting <laughs> segment Two and a half years ago, almost, it happened. And like, the company that can never remember anything, like, they don't even remember that Andre turned on Hulk. But by God, yeah. they'll remember this goddamn weightlifting segment. Yeah. And the girl on the scene says, you both hold the record. And he's like, well, if we had the record together, it'd be 1,400 pounds. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, this match sucks. It's a Jim Duggan match. How many times can somebody scream ho? Um, Duggan shoves the referee. Monsoon acts like he couldn't see it. Almost verbatim, Bobby yeah. Heenan style. He's like, oh, I didn't see that on my monitor. You know, just you're just the same as Bobby Heenan, Monsoon, so just accept it. Uh, Ventura with the line of the night, I just plain don't like Hacksaw. That was going to be my next comment, my favorite <laughs> line of the night. I just plain don't like Hacksaw. If you don't, oh. you don't, and, th- and that's all you have to say. You, yeah. st- you can stop there. Indeed. And then just the idiocy again of this, because I am both being sold that Earthquake is like the next thing. Like he sent 28 men to the hospital and now Hacksaw is just grabbing by the head and having his way with him. And then they put the two by four in the hands behind Hacksaw of Dino Bravo. And Hacksaw knows enough to have his way with him and quickly turn around, step on the two by four before he can pick it up and then use the two by four. Then put, give it away, then get the pinfall. And it's all these matches where I said it a hundred thousand times. It's all this stupid stuff can happen and happen so easily. Like, why do I have to watch the match? Why does Hacksaw wrestle the matchup? Because at any time he can just do anything he wants to finish the matchup. So why just either don't have it at all or go straight to that. But these matches insult my intelligence. I don't enjoy them. Hacksaw Jim Duggan gets the win. Yeah. Worst match on the show for me. Yeah. And, uh, not that it didn't have any competition either. But, yeah, I could have just lived my whole life without seeing this one. And I still would have known what happened. So, Absolutely. All right, so Gene Okerlund is with Jake, the Snake Roberts. Uh, he's getting ready to take on Teddy Biasi, who is trying to get back his million-dollar title. Uh, this is an interesting promo. I like some of the aspects. Jake says this is the biggest match of your career because everything you stand for is on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that he brings back the very beginning of Teddy Biasi's career when he made fans beg and grovel for money, and he says it's going to be the other way around. You're going to beg, and you're going to grovel um, and be a victim of your own greed. Mm. Yeah, I would say of all the matches, this one maybe has the best setup of any of them, and a lot of that credit really goes to Jake here because, yeah, he sets the stage really beautifully here, and I think really shows that he earns his reputation as this great promo, as this great mind um, for these wrestling storylines. And then if only... That would carry over better into the match. Then we would be really having a good time here. So it's set up well. And then we have the match. And it's not a bad match. But mm-hmm. why, on a show that has so many short matches, why do they seemingly so often give Jake Roberts a lot of time? It is the last thing he needs. He is not exciting, except maybe in short bursts. Um, like his matches should be like six or seven minutes long. And this is, I don't even know, but probably twice that, like it gets very slow. The crowd like does the wave. They're bored. They're not into it. So it's such a nice setup. And then the match just, it just drags and it's unfortunate. And again, it's a letdown kind of the theme of this WrestleMania maybe is that we see a lot of things that are a letdown when we get to them. 
I thought you accidentally got into my notes there. <laughs> uh, my usual notes. And okay. the thing is, I like the way this match starts, and I like some of the finish. Yeah, same, same. There's some good stuff. It's not a bad match. No. Um, it just could have had like the whole middle part cut out and then it would have been a good match. It's not really a good match because it's just too boring in the middle, but it's got some good stuff in it. Like you can see the potential for, for this really actually delivering well on what they set up. Comparatively to this might speak to the matches on the cards. Like this is a matchup that I usually would have so much critique for. And I do the middle of the match. You cannot say that the fans are doing the wave, and that's a good thing for a grudge payoff top build WrestleMania matchup. Um, but comparatively, like, I like the momentum that it starts with. Yep. Like they actually are moving and using energy and momentum and speed, which is not always there. Um, even when like DiBiase pulls Jake Roberts in for a side headlock, and you can hear his face smack DiBiase's body. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's some very good stuff there. Like it's very quick at the start. Actually, um, there's the DDT tease and escape spot which i always love like there's just some really good stuff at the start and then it just slows down and then it picks up again a bit at the end like there's a nice pile driver it looks like it's coming to like a big conclusion um it does end in again kind of a lame count out so that's another point against the match but um yeah i mean uh there's good and bad in this match and it just would have been so easy to cut out the bad just by shortening the time. And there's matches on this card which could have used more time. We talked about it. So, I don't know. You know, just uh, continuing the pattern. This WrestleMania is kind of a letdown, even though there are definitely some good aspects in it. Yeah, and I also said the Million Dollar title becomes a liability if all that it means is that DiBiase can never win or lose a match, no matter how deep the feud is going. <laughs> You remember, we've talked about this so many times, it's really become a big touchstone, that Dusty versus DiBiase match was so good, and part of the reason it was good is that Dusty actually won it. Like, it had yeah. an ending. I am open to matches not having an ending, but when it is overused, it becomes lame, and it's very much being overused at this point in the WWF. Yeah, I agree. The one thing that makes the match and makes that already amazing promos even better is that he takes the money and gives it away at the end, yeah. which goes back to his prophecy uh, at the beginning and before the matchup. Yep, yep. That's a very, very nice moment. We also actually get to see Jake stuff some money in the mouth of Ted, which was very yeah. uh, satisfying after he's done it to so many other people. Uh, Virgil does rescue him before the snake can get thrown on him, but uh, DiBiase gets some comeuppance, and that there, there's some satisfaction in that. I think this is a big night for DiBiase because we're going to see him again. So it almost feels like he's actually on the move again and trying to get get some momentum, whereas he has kind of been a little bit either dropping off since WrestleMania 4 or staying the same. DiBiase is about to come into one of my favorite feuds that he is going to have, that feud with the big boss man, which will has already kicked off and will escalate further in just a moment. Um, there are going to be vignettes where he visits uh, the hometown of the big boss man and, and criticizes things there and flashes his money around and does everything he can to get under boss man's skin. I'm hoping we can dig up some of those because there's going to be a lot of good stuff in this feud. I'm very excited about that one. And we absolutely do. I've never seen those. I would love to see those. <laughs> oh, it's great stuff. We will definitely uh, find those if we possibly can. So, all right. Yeah. I guess that takes us to our next match, which is yeah. um, the Twin Towers, uh, you know, battling it out. Big Boss Man and Akeem against each other here at WrestleMania. This was done perfectly in that uh, 
any any advantage that Akeem gets is off of T- Teddy Biasi is going to still be at ringside somewhere. He's going to attack the boss man. So we're getting to the bigger, more important thing. And then it gives Akeem a little bit of an advantage. And then the minute that's over, boss man just puts him away. Yep, absolutely. The, the, the fact that it is short, I think, is definitely uh, to the benefit of those involved. Um, probably the promos might be longer than the match here, which, um, you know, it's not the worst thing either. Before the match, Slick tells Mooney he's the happiest man in the world because DiBiase gave the money to uh, take out the big mm. boss man, which is cool. I always appreciate that good stuff. I'm a little sad, though, about Slick and boss man being broken up because they were just such a great pairing together. This is an older style feud back when the narratives were better because yeah. boss yeah. man gets to be a baby face because he stopped selling out. He didn't want the money. That was against his but Slick taking the money is no worse because that's what they've always been. So you've got one of these narratives where there's no actual good versus bad. They're just they made two different choices that would separate them. Yes. And so I love the telling of the story and that DiBiase has divided like that. It is a good story. You almost wish that Bossman and DiBiase would have been fighting at a WrestleMania because yes. they actually have the much better story going on, you know, between them. But um uh, Okerlund talks to Bossman as well. The uh, Bossman says DiBiase is scum. He doesn't take money from anyone anymore. Quote unquote. <laughs> my added. Um, he's proud yes. to walk to the ring on his own, and he's very fired up here. We're about to enter probably my favorite um, Big Bossman era, where uh, he is just in the zone. He is a super fired up baby face. It's going to be some super good Bossman stuff coming along here. And this is why Vincent Mann can think things like, you know, just put the red rooster over because like, there's nothing super special or guaranteed about Big Boss Man, you know, man wearing a, a law outfit. But it's one of these things that this thing is going to take off. And it's like Undertaker type stuff for a little while. You know, it is exclusively WWF stuff that works. Yeah. You know, they, Rooster's not even, I think, the best comparison because we talked, nobody could have really made that work. Right. It's too stupid with the hair and the puns and stuff. But there's a lot of gimmicks that could have worked with one person and wouldn't have worked with another. You know, gimmicks that might have succeeded or failed based on who you put them on. So, yeah, you give Bossman a gimmick like this. He's great. You give the same gimmick to, like, Akeem. I don't yeah. think it works, you know. So um, sometimes it is just the guy behind the gimmick either makes it work or doesn't. Yeah, I agree 100%. I also, when he's being that music and being cheered, we talked a long time about wanting to see a feud between Dusty Rose and Bossman. I kind of want to see them together as baby faces. Ooh, yes! Oh, I'd love that. I think yeah. they they have some connection. I think, don't they? Like from I back hope so. in, Dusty maybe brought in Bossman or something to the business. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Dusty brought so. him in. I think he tried to get him over for a future feud with Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> well, <laughs> hell, that would have been a great feud, too. I'm still sad that they had those promos against each other, and they, they basically never fought. Like, they had a like, two-minute match on Saturday Night's Mind Event or something. Uh, no footage, I think, exists of those matches, but I would have loved to see it, because, like, this is the time to do it. Like, that would have been great. And... Yeah. It also makes my heart happy that Bossman did his finisher to Akeem. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He, he got it on him. The best finishers are ones which you can hit quickly and on anybody and boss man i mean i never saw anybody you couldn't hit that boss man slam on yeah man good this is a coming out like you said in a bigger better wrestlemania you get dibiase and boss man but this is i think the coming out boss man and for what it is it's very successful it's very good stuff like you can't really say too much about the match because like it barely happens but you know it's what it needs to be and uh yeah i'll say i pop very big for dibiase attacking boss man 
uh, before he gets to the ring. Like yes. that, that made me excited for the feud. So that was a very nice moment. Absolutely. I'm still looking forward to that. There's a lot coming. We're going to see Sherry with DiBiase eventually. I think we're going to see yeah. DiBiase in a lot of interesting feuds. So there's just, it's, for my memory, like there's little things I remember. This is a less pronounced era. So I think there's going to be a lot of pleasant surprises, even amongst some of the struggles that are to come. I think so. Yeah. And we've talked again uh, many times about how we're going to get to that era of like the 91, 92 kind of uh, later 91 it's going to yeah. have a lot of great stuff in it they're really going to hit a high point again before it sort of uh switches over into kind of the struggles of new gen so we're, yeah. we'll, we'll see some good stuff man this is exciting yes yeah, so boss man is in good for Akeem. you know we, we know which direction he's going but man you know king does his job he does the best he can so you know everybody does what they, they you expect them to do uh, Sean Mooney is in the crowd. He wants oh, to know from kids in the crowd. Hold up, hold whether... up. A little more, a little more. I want to say okay. about that match first. Uh, first, I want to say uh, Monsoon spends a lot of this match mourning the interference that's going on with DiBiase and Slick and Ventura, very rightly making fun of him for not speaking up when Liz interfered earlier in the night. So I have to once again highlight this babyface hypocrisy that uh, just just runs unchecked in this era. Um, and the other thing I would say is after the match, Big Boss Man does grab Slick, punches him out of the ring, and man, it's it's just a bad day for clients and their former managers, I think, because uh, you get the same little bit of sadness here as with Heenan and uh, Andre. Not quite on that level, but still, made me sad to see these two so opposed. Yeah, I, th- I think when Hill managers sign their contracts, they realize the comeuppance is part of the eventual... Uh, <laughs> You know, first we'll be friends, then I'm going to screw him, then I'm going to get my comeuppance. You know, I don't know how many storylines don't get that. But, yeah, I think that's a good mention that after the match, we get our boss man slick. And this could have meant a lot more because I think they could have done a lot more together yeah. before this happened. But at the same time, they're also going to move into they need baby faces and boss man is a good choice. I think for boss man, they'd be one of those. Sure. Yeah. I wish I don't think this will happen. It would be nice to see Slick and DiBiase aligned in some way yes. as part of this feud, but Slick I think will just kind of disappear from this feud, unfortunately. Yeah, because DiBiase made this. DiBiase breaks a lot of things, and he he broke this. You know, the the hope the money was good for one event because like he lost someone who probably made him more money over time than he got from that one event with DiBiase. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. So uh, now now to the crowd. Okay, Sean Mooney is with fans and uh, the first fan says that they can't sing or dance or do anything talking about rhythm and blues. So they're not excited. But then there's a young lady in the crowd who seems to be very excited. She I don't know. She just doesn't know what they're talking about, but she is. She wants rhythm and blues and she wants them to sing. Maybe it's the appeal of the honky tonk man. I have no idea, but it was a split crowd as far as rhythm and blues. I mean, as far as those two fans they talked to, at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. They also talked to uh, Mary Tyler Moore, a yes. great actress that uh, you may or may not know. And, uh, I love Mary Tyler Moore. She, she does. Yeah, no, I love Mary Tyler Moore, so I'm with you there. Um, he, she does call this a great combination of athletics and theater, which, haha, Vince McMahon probably had a little stroke backstage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think they prepped this at all because they like, how about Greg Valentine? And she's like, how about him? <laughs> <laughs> yep, she's just there to uh, enjoy the show. I always wonder, yeah, these celebrities, especially the ones who sit in the crowd, like, did they care? Did they just come out for that interview segment? I have no idea. But um, I don't you know. know. <laughs> it's I hard don't to know. say. 
I hope she had a good time, though. I love Mary Tyler Moore. So. And then they asked, I mean, well, of course you're going to be, you know, the next WrestleMania. And then she says, of course I'm going to be. And then she has this look on her face like, I'm not liable for telling that lie, am I? <laughs> She's going to wait and see what the main event is. And then probably like most, she won't come. So, yes. you know. <laughs> so that was fun. Sean Mooney, who I love, getting to talk to Mary Tyler Moore. That's a nice moment. Um, and then we go to exactly what's next, which is the concert from Rhythm and Blues. This this segment, I think, is why they had to downgrade WrestleMania next year. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 I raised the eyebrow a little bit when Honky Tonk Man was voted one of the worst people in the, the 80s of uh, WWF The Legacy Series. But, man, if this segment had aired before we voted, I might have voted for him myself because this segment is terrible. It goes on for a long time. They sing and nobody really cares. And then the the fucking bushwhackers come down also. So no. I don't. I thought the crowd was very restless for this. They were not like this was not over. This didn't get heat. This just kind of irritated people. So it, it's it's kind of the worst of all seasons. Well, I don't. So you got these heels who are only heels because they claim to be singers and nobody likes their singing. <laughs> and so you give them a concert in front of sixty thousand people during WrestleMania. Right. Like what did you want to happen? I don't understand the logic of it. Yeah, heels which are just nothing but annoying. Um, yeah. Never really, they don't do it for me, you know. And you don't give them time like this, just so much time to do their thing. And then who comes out but the, the bushwhackers? bushwhackers. So, I don't know. I got nothing and if you like their singing, they wouldn't even be heels because they don't, they're not mean. They're not bad. It's just either you <laughs> believe their claim or you don't. Right, like their crimes having a lot of self-confidence, which you don't yeah. think they earned. And by that logic, most baby faces are heels, so. Yeah. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. yeah so that happened. Um, and that you, you do see shades of no matter what era of wrestling WWF you're in, there's always the best and worst of Vince McMahon's ideas were always present somewhere. Yeah, for sure. So we get past the concert, and the guy who will challenge for the world title at SummerSlam is in the matchup uh, next to the world title match at WrestleMania. It is Ravishing Rick Rude going one-on-one with Jimmy Snuka. If I ever saw an invitation for everyone to use the bathroom before the main event, I guess this was it. <laughs> so this isn't the worst match on the card, but no. it is perhaps the most pointless. You know, yes. like, how could you care about this match? I don't know. Yeah, uh, Rude again. Like I think Rude made this match better than it than it could have been. Jimmy Snuka, like you know who's gonna win the match, right. but they keep it short and like Snuka has some advantages, you know, that are hard to deny for a moment or two, and then you know until you can deny it, and Rude gets the advantage. And uh, I think that Miss Splash goes right into a Rude Awakening, and Ravishing Rick Rude gets the victory over Snuka. Yep, and Steve Allen does commentary about how ugly Jimmy Snuka is, so if that does it for you, there you go. And then, you know, you come to the main event of WrestleMania six. It is Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. There are no promos left to be given. Uh, it's just time for the matchup. Yeah, and for all that we've kind of been down on this feud and down on these two, the fan reaction it's enormous, you know, like yeah. the, the, the pop is huge. You, you got to give credit. You can't deny it. Um, clearly, this was a good match to put on for this time and place. And to this day, people still say they like this match. I don't I don't really understand it. 
I don't see the appeal. I, I watched it probably a couple times, and I've just never been able to really connect with anything in it. I don't find it impressive in any way, but uh, I don't have any nostalgia. I don't really have connection to either of these guys. It's not really my style of match. It is weird. Like, it was so easy for me to get into um, Andre and Hogan, you know, after watching it a couple of times, after watching the build. Like, I really came to appreciate how good that was. And that was as much, if not more, limited physically than this match was. And yet, I don't know, this match just doesn't do a lot for me, but it does a lot for the fans in attendance. So clearly something was being done right. Yeah, you get the feeling at the start of this match that the only reason anyone came to WrestleMania 6 was for this, and they didn't bother to make anything better. And they just admit, like, oh, this is what we all came to see. So, Absolutely. You know, which is not an excuse to do that. that like, that's when you capitalize and give them an entire show they can't forget. We've talked uh, about burning goodwill. I think they yes. do a lot of that at this show. But you cannot deny Again, I want to I want to shout out a few things that I think deserve, and I think we'll agree on some of them, and maybe not others. But okay. you know, number one, Vince McMahon, who doesn't like babyface versus babyface, the risk of this thing. I think Ultimate Warrior gets a good ovation at the beginning. Hulk Hogan gets a better ovation. There'll be times where they both get, I think, equally almost high ovations. I don't know if Warrior's ovations are sustained as long, but there is. You're putting everything on the line. Like if Hulk Hogan is putting over Ultimate Warrior, and it just so happens that everybody turns on the Ultimate Warrior, you do have yourself a mess because you can't go into you can't go into the Warriors' reign like that. Right. So they they rolled big on this, and I think like the middle of the match, I definitely at the beginning like. I can't take with uh, so many Tesla strains and bear hugs, no matter who's wrestling. Um, and yeah. I, so my girlfriend actually watched this matchup again. She's doesn't know a whole lot about professional wrestling. And she said that, you know, something to the fact that they're just being lazy. All they're doing is holding hands and hugging is what she said, yeah. you know, and that's what it is. It's rest holds. And so I also have to, if I'm going to critique Jake Roberts matches, I have to critique some of this. But there's also a part of me that wants to give credit to Hulk Hogan because I think taking the Ultimate Warrior in a main event to a match that lasts this long, I honestly believe that the Ultimate Warrior before the matchup was was gassed and was about you know ready to be done. So I think there's something that, that got done here. I think the end of it, I have a few things at the end that I think that went well, but you know, I think that what they wanted to do was put over the Ultimate Warrior, WWF. I think Hulk Hogan put over Hulk Hogan uh, <laughs> and got out of there. And so I think the winner of this was Hulk Hogan, but I think he also did it in a way where WWF, I think they said that some of them, like Patterson and McMahon, I don't know if they were crying, but they were having a response at the end of this, like, you know, something amazing had, had happened. I don't so. get it. This match has some effect on people. Like a lot of people still talk positively about it. My impression is the same as you and your girlfriend. Um, so much of it is just nothing happens. And like, it's a very long match. And yeah, yeah. the bear hug, the test of strength, like that's probably 15 of the minutes right there, just between those two moves. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't really get it. Um, after the match, I definitely like, I never saw somebody suck wind like warrior was after yeah. that match was over. Like he was just, um, maybe I'm projecting cause I don't like it, but he was just sucking wind so hard. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's really he was before to the talk match. about this. Cause I feel like we need another voice in the room or something to kind of take up the other side. 
Well, I think the great victory of it is the fact that it was received so well and it still is by people. Yeah. You know, we're talking about an ultimate warrior who barely ever wrestled matches that went longer than a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a very good point. I think the fact that nobody got booed out of the building and the fact that the match didn't fall on its face to the, because Hogan, like it's hard to believe a Hulk Hogan claim. But Hulk Hogan claims that the <laughs> Ultimate Warrior, somewhere early in this match, tried to call them going home because, like, it, it's just too much. And, like, maybe that happened and maybe it didn't. But I could build a, a, a believable case that the Ultimate Warrior realized five minutes in, I can't have this match up. We just need to get it over with. Mm. You know, so the victories are in uh, the fact that the match ended without the fans, I think, booing anybody or turning on anybody. Yeah, I mean, I guess you got to give credit as far as that goes. Man, I don't get it with war. I would think if you're going to be put at the very top of your industry, like literally the number one spot, wouldn't you put in more effort to be, like, good at what you do? I mean, it's just (laughs) – it's so weird. Like, was there no opportunity to be like, yeah, let's wrestle some longer matches at a house show or, like, maybe I can build in my conditioning or maybe he didn't want to do that because then he couldn't take so many steroids and be, like – um, you know, ripped to the point of being unpleasant to look at. I mean, I, I, I have no idea, but, like, it's just very strange to me. But I don't know. A warrior, perhaps in life as well as in character, is just continually unaffected by things around him. Yeah. I don't believe the story that he went off and cried. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. It's just very hard for me to believe. Um, even, when, like, when Hogan was coming out, he was getting, like you said, probably a bigger ovation than Warrior. Yes. Warrior just keeps posing. Yes. Like he Like, it's like he doesn't even know Hogan's coming out. So... I don't know. It's just he's a very strange person. I can't really understand him. I saw several times in the match, and maybe I'm reading into it, but I don't think I am. When Hulk Hogan left him alone in the ring, even when Hogan's leaving, he looks terrified. (laughs) And like he does not want Hulk Hogan to leave him alone because he doesn't even know what to do. Yeah, maybe lost at least. Yeah, I could definitely see that possibility. Um, It's hard to say. It's hard for me to even... Like, I look at the Warrior, and I don't think I can be objective, because I just think he's a piece of crap as a wrestler and as a person. It's very hard for me to just separate all my bad feelings. But I don't know. Like, I kind of got that vibe as well. Like, he see Hogan definitely seemed like he was, like, leading the Warrior. He was selling yes. a lot more for the Warrior. Uh, yes. Warrior was just sort of, like, oblivious a lot of the time to the fact that anything was happening beyond the normal. So it seemed to me, at least. That's why I think, and I don't, we might not get this because just the way people feel, but Hulk Hogan deserves a lot of credit, I think, for this because if you eliminated him and what he did, and he's the guy jobbing, and you know he didn't want to, but he's putting Warrior over. Warrior's like dancing, like beside Hulk, like nothing <laughs> Warrior Tonka does. He did dance, didn't he? I thought he did, so. <laughs> but it's like when he gets an offense on him, he doesn't even know what to do. Like, there's one man driving the entirety of the match. And you can think it's a good match. You can think it's an awful match. But it is driven by one person and a liability. <laughs> and so you cannot take that away that Ultimate Warrior, like, is in front of over 60,000 fans and doesn't know how to wrestle a 20-minute match. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think us not being objective to Warrior makes us objective to Warrior. <laughs> because I think our lack of objectivity gets closer. to All right, here, here we go. And there's still a little bit of the match. Uh, to talk about, but it's like when you do a shoot interview, especially in Ultimate Warrior, you're making good money and you've agreed to do a job. Okay, so a question to the Ultimate Warrior in a shoot interview is, um, 
it's rare at this time to see baby faces together. So at the Royal Rumble, what was the crowd reaction like, you know, to something so rare? Hmm. Ultimate Warrior's response, and this is about a page long, but it's just, this is the Ultimate Warrior. I don't know. You know, I'm getting to a place in this interview where the questions are starting to get redundant. Like I'm supposed to every hair on my neck that went up in every match that I had, I'm supposed to remember it. A lot of that out there, and maybe a lot of other people didn't look at it like this, and maybe it leaves me at odds with a lot of the talent that's out there today that, that wants to take every opportunity to criticize what I did in the business, but it was a job. It was a goal for me to achieve. Every time I got into the ring or went to a town or every big pay-per-view or every big, you know, this Royal Rumble thing that you're talking about, it's about doing your job. And maybe that's not as warm-hearted as people would like for me to remember, but – um. And that's the end of his response to the Royal Rumble with Hogan. <laughs> and with the butt um, I got Yeah. It. So here, and you, <laughs> I shouldn't bring this up because I'm sure you're thinking it already and it'll just hurt you if you're not. But uh, Lex Luger gets so much crap for not, like, caring enough about the business for all his stupid reasons, which don't even make sense. But that's the narrative. Here, Ultimate Warrior is just straight up like, well, it's just my job, and I didn't really care about it. And here he is getting the big win, getting the big moment. You know, what the hell is up with that? So, I don't yeah. know. What the hell? You can't take the guy that did that promo, though, and make him. Like, this was never, ever going to work. It was never going to happen. Yeah. You know, you're dealing with a guy who's obstinate. Like, he not only doesn't care about the business, but he cares deeply about himself. And he wants the business to be in service to him. Like, if it was just a job, then you do what your job and the business does its job. But he wants the business to be in service to him. And, like, he's he's greater than the entire entire business. And it should be launching him, I think, into his ridiculous ideas that he wants to get to. But that problem, like, I went to his shoot interviews because every time I'm covering him, I try to find something good. So I thought... My God, what does the Ultimate Warrior think of WrestleMania six? Because maybe never in the history of the world has anyone been given a grander opportunity than the Ultimate Warrior got at WrestleMania six. Yeah. And all I find is a promo where he's getting pissed off because he's expected to remember what happened in what was supposed to be one of the biggest feuds of all time and certainly by far the biggest in his career. So like what in the world? Like you're not going to remember it. You don't understand it. You don't know how to wrestle a match. You don't know how to be on offense. You don't know how to be on defense. You don't know how to stand in the ring, whether it's Hulk Hogan coming to the ring or leaving at the end. You don't know how to stand in the ring by yourself. You don't know how to be comfortable or what to do during that time. Like this is never going to work under any under any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's like there are definitely guys who, um care about wrestling too much and they kind of like destroy their whole life and their body and everything in the service of wrestling. They just kind of sacrifice it at that altar. But like, there's a limit the other way too. You can't just like not care about wrestling at all. You know, there's a million bad things you can say about Hulk Hogan. He'll deserve every one of them, but you can't say that he didn't care. You can't say that when it really mattered, he was lazy because he worked incredibly hard to make his legacy, to make the WWF successful, you know, Hulk Hogan shoot interviews are, you know, they're just lies usually, but like, yeah. he'll never just be like, Oh, I don't really remember because I don't care. You know, like yeah. he cares for God's sake. He cares a lot. So you can at least say that for him for God's yeah. sake. It's also as an adult, I understand 
that even if you didn't love the business, you have to understand the business because you work in the business. Like it is almost impossible to work a job, even if you hate the job for any significant significant amount of time and not understand it. Like I can tell you things about jobs I worked at that I'm bored to death and I don't care about, but I had to learn because I did it and there's no way not to learn. And the thing that the ultimate warrior did beyond not caring about the business, he never learned the business. He won the world title in front of 60,000 fans at WrestleMania and he still does not understand the business. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I don't get it. It's like, Lex Luger, you can say whatever you want to. You can't wrestle our matches with Ric Flair. Ric Flair can't be that good. You can't have the amazing storyline that Lex Luger and Sting had in the mid-90s. You can't beat Hollywood Hulk Hogan in such an amazing way. Like, you can't do these things if you don't have some understanding for the business. The Ultimate Warrior doesn't understand the business. He disdains the business. He can't. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, like, they talk about wrestling a broom. Like, a broom would do a lot of things better than the Ultimate Warrior because it wouldn't be the liability <laughs> that the Ultimate Warrior is. You know, I've seen um, the you know there are certain matches where a guy like Kotobushi or somebody will wrestle like an actual blow up doll, and yeah, I, I think that doll was a better wrestler than the Ultimate Warrior sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> if Hulk Hogan wanted to. And I don't think he would have done it because he cares about WWF being successful because that's where his money is if Hollywood doesn't work out. But I think he could have wrecked the Ultimate Warrior and WWF if he wanted to. I, yeah. I think he could have sent the Ultimate Warrior in circles in a way that would have like you can't come back from if he had yeah. wanted to. I think he could have got the Ultimate Warrior lost and on his head and outside the ring and just go tell him to do something that makes no sense and then watch him and point at him. You know, I think if nothing else, the Ultimate Warrior was completely in the hands of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that as well. I think at this point we're just preaching to the choir, so uh, let's talk a little bit more about the match, and then I think um, we can be done with this uh, lackluster WrestleMania. Um, in this match, why do they do so much crisscrossing in this match? Yeah. I have to ask that. Like, they crisscross all the time. Maybe against your point, was Hulk Hogan trying to blow the warrior up with yeah. all this crisscrossing? I don't know. It's a possibility, but it's very weird. The Ultimate Warrior just runs the like, – did you see – because we didn't cover it. Did you see the highlights of when Hogan was wrestling Earthquake and Warrior saved him? Yes, and then he almost clotheslined Hogan but then just didn't. So He's just running off the ropes like nothing's going on. Like right. Hogan's laying there and he just starts running the ropes and then like doing a clothesline <laughs> to nothing. Yes, that was very bizarre. I don't know so, what to make of that. Again, so. with the crisscrossing, it's just the Ultimate Warrior just does stuff and you, I think you, you get in where you fit in or you don't wrestle the Ultimate Warrior. There's a lot in this match where, like, obviously the point of the match is to show that they're neck and neck, and they do that by, like, yeah. they basically do all the same moves. Like, it's like a mirror match, and uh, eh, I don't know. Like, I'm not into that either. Like, it's very heavy-handed the way they put it across. So yeah. I, I, I wasn't into that aspect either. I didn't think it was executed very well. I agree with that. So you get kind of the big moves. Hogan's sidestep in the Warrior's shoulder block to me was just a – complete reveal of the warrior because it feels like if anyone wanted to that's all you got to do is he's already going to launch in the air whether he hits anything or not and you just easily just step out of the way and, and you're done with it yeah very true and that was during a ref bump and hogan got a visual three count just from warrior kind of like falling over on his own face like hogan yeah. barely touched him so huh yeah. what that was weird 
Yeah. And then I think Warrior's going to... What does Warrior get the pin off of? Is that... Just like a back suplex? And it's funny, because, yeah. yeah, Hogan gets, like, the visual three, but the ref is down. So Hogan gets up, and then Warrior just gets up, like nothing happened. And, like, you just got pinned, man, but, like, you can't even sell anything. There's kind yeah. of nothing to sell. I don't know. Yeah, he also gets a visual three, and I'm like, we get it. They're very even. Like, I understand. <laughs> oh. I think the finish was fitting that... Hogan missed the leg drop and the warrior just hit that splash real quick. Cause to me, rather than like doing your military press and all your stuff, warrior just using that speed and that like get in and get out is the only thing that separates him from Hulk Hogan. I think Hulk Hogan was incredibly brave to let warrior military uh, yes. press him at all. Cause that does happen. And warrior can barely do it. Yes. And he drops him just like he dropped Bobby Heenan. So yep. Hulk Hogan should be very glad that he didn't get hurt when that happened. Um, but yes, understand. Hogan does kick out of that, but Warrior dodges a leg drop, and then he does hit that splash quickly to win. Yeah, I don't understand why they let him do it. The move doesn't look good, and it looks like it would hurt anybody because they always fall halfway down his back and then on their side and all of that. Yeah, no, that was scary. Like, obviously I knew he was going to be okay, but just thinking back to the year before when he did that to Heenan, a much lighter guy and just completely injured the hell out of him. To let him do that to Hogan, geez, like, I wouldn't have had the guts to do it. I'd be like, okay, he's going to try this, and you're going to counter it, and then, you know, we're not even going to worry about going there. But they did it, so brave on Hulk Hogan's part, I'll just say again. Yeah, and so you get the fullness of the ultimate warrior. You get the victory. Uh, to me— I love Hogan kicking out at, like, 3.1. Yes. Like he can't even, uh, you know, he just has to show you one last time. Oh, I was just this close to coming back and winning. So there's something to yeah. that, too. Understanding that, though, is like that to me, the psychology, he, he understands the psychology that might be petty beyond petty. But it's part of the reason that he sustained himself that long. Absolutely. And, you know, it makes sense in the context as well, because it was like a quick pin. It's something you don't usually see, but it does yep. kind of make sense. So, you know, he did it in a not obvious way, but I think it was definitely another way to show, well, you know, Warrior beat me, but he, he probably almost didn't beat me. So, you know, you, you can at least know that. And I promise you there were siblings riding home where one was like, well, I told you the alternate warrior is better than Hulk Hogan. And it's like, yeah, but he kicked out right at, you know. <laughs> that conversation happened in at least one car on the way home. Yeah, they could have done a reverse uh, Hogan-Andre. Oh, Hogan really did kick out, you know, like it was yeah. that close. It was that close, so. I give Hulk Hogan credit for two things that are almost contradictory, which is fitting <laughs> for Hulk Hogan. To be able to get the ultimate warrior through the entirety of the matchup and have him honestly standing up as the victor. And also to do it, to do it, he hits that mark and he goes no step beyond it. And then by the time he leaves, he really has taken back anything he gave from to the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> well, he did and he did it because there's definitely this narrative that like Hogan sort of manipulated the situation so that the attention would be on him, and it kind of is. But I can't, I can't necessarily believe it was a Hogan manipulation because no, it's so obvious when watching it that this is always what they intended to do. They intended to keep focus on both guys. Like, the camera follows Hogan as he leaves. Hogan can't make the camera follow him. Exactly. Like the camera follows him because that was the direction they were going. But what they didn't understand is there is, unlike the match that's booked right down the middle, there is no comparison between the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. Indeed. So when Hogan is leaving, 
you are looking at something that has represented the WWF for half a decade and carried the company. And you're looking at something that is kind of naked and afraid in the ring. <laughs> and it's, it's a bad look. Like to me, I was saying like, stop showing Hulk Hogan. Like, what are you doing right now? Ugh, I would prefer to keep following Hogan. Cause Hulk, like after this match, he's really putting a lot into it still. Like, yes. um, you know, he, he goes out, he gets the world title. He looks distraught. He's like acting, he's selling, he's putting it over. He gives him the title and warriors just like <laughs> in the ring. Like, you know, he can't, yeah. he can't do anything even if he had wanted to. Cause like he can barely, you know, keep himself going. So, uh, you know, Hogan was doing a hell of a lot more at the end of this match than warrior was. So I, I give credit to Hogan rather than condemn him as a manipulator. Cause he was just doing his job. It's not his fault. Warrior didn't have the tools to combat what he was doing. Yeah. If you had someone that wasn't the ultimate warrior, like I now see what they were trying to do. And if it had been a capable baby face and you split the difference and you kept Hulk Hogan and you made another person on Hogan's level, you really have done something that in the 90s is going to make nobody's contending with you. Yeah. But yeah. you just had the wrong guy to do it. Yeah. And we talked before, I don't know if there was a right guy available, but it sure yeah. wasn't Warrior. So, <sighs> I don't know. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, honestly, I mean, we can keep this short because we've already had this conversation. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't ask the question. But, like, the guy to do it, what everybody would say, wouldn't be in the WWF. He was wrestling Ric Flair in the 1990. The guy would be Sting. So, mm. what, or, you, Luger. You, or Luger. Or <laughs> Luger. Yeah, I think Luger, but, you know, I think the popular opinion. So, is Sting, does Sting do it? If that Sting, instead of the Ultimate Warrior, do they hit their mark? I think they come closer, but I don't think anyone yeah. is going to follow Hogan. You know, I think I, just like all of other Sting's reigns, it would have fallen down in time. Um I don't think Sting would have uh, burned his bridge and, like, melted down like Warrior did. Sting probably would have hung around for a long time, probably had, like, maybe even an Undertaker-style career. Um, maybe not quite on that level, but just, like, I, Sting clearly is loyal to where he is, so I think if he had been loyal to the WWF, they probably would have stuck with him for a long time. I don't know. We're talking about a very different world at that point, though. Yeah. And I was just saying, finally, for those – who want to know what separates Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan from so many others. Watch the end of the match, post-match. Hulk Hogan, watch how he is on the floor before he picks up the belt. Watch him pick up the belt. Watch him stand on the apron for a while. Watch him point up to heaven. Watch him come in the ring. Watch him do what he's going to do. Every single bit of it is calculated and measured and done for a reason. Yeah, absolutely so. You can see that Hulk Hogan still has a lot to offer, even though he's not the same as he used to be. But, like, he's going to show his value still many times over, uh, even as he kind of shows his detriments as well. Yeah. So I'll just say this. My last thought. I was going to ask you. I think it's too obvious now. I was going to ask, does this work better if a heel had been holding the title, if it had been Savage or DiBiase and Warrior beats them instead? And I got to say, probably the match would have been better, but I think Warrior fails anyway. You know, I don't think it makes a difference in the long term. So I don't know what you think about that. And, yeah, the only difference is now you have to take the ultimate warrior because you got no choice. But <laughs> right. you know, he's never going to carry this company. He's never going to carry house shows. He's never going to be the kind of champion that he needs to be. Uh, there is zero. I think that you get your WrestleMania buy rate or not. You didn't even get that. You get your attendance, but 
there was zero percent chance that this world title reign was going to work out like they wanted it to. Zero percent. Um, yep, that, that's my feeling as well, sitting right here. Um, I will say we will continue to keep an eye on it. I remember feeling as I watched through the Warriors reign, much like this WrestleMania, there is a real lack of attention to giving him good storylines. Maybe he couldn't have handled those storylines anyway, but I think as much as Warrior will kind of fall on his own face and it'll be his own fault, I think he will also not be supported particularly well by the company during this reign. So we'll see if that thought holds up. That is my memory from when I watched through this stuff years ago. We will see what happens. Yeah, I think you're going to be right. But I also think part of the reason we're going to get Rick Rude versus the Warrior is because nobody could give Warrior good matches and nobody wanted to be in the ring with the Warrior because he hurt everybody. So, <laughs> Great point. Yes, the bravery of Rick Rude and the fact that Hogan never wanted to work him. Like that was his chance, I guess, to get in the main event. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, we have been mildly impressed by their matches in the past. I don't know if their later ones will hold up or not. But, yeah, we're just about out of time. Anything else you want to say about WrestleMania six before we end up here? I think the narrative landed where it did that, you know, underwhelming and could have been better. It could have been better and easily so. Yeah, but some good stuff as well. You know, the the Andre stuff, uh, the Savage Dusty stuff. Like, there's stuff we're checking out in the show. Some of the throwaway matches. You know, if you like a good short match, you could watch Martel Coco, Tito Barbarian, those kind of matches. Like, there's good stuff as well. You know, we can't write this off as a loss, exactly. And it's successful in a way that they're going to long for afterwards, so that's something to that. <laughs> Very true. Next year, 100000 in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Nope, will never happen. <laughs> All right, we really are out of time, so thank you for joining us. It's been great to be back. If you want to shout me out, I'm on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. Come join our thread as well, www.lopforums.com. Also, WrestlingHeadlines.com, our main page, and all the other great programs on LOP Radio. We will be back next week. Uh, not next week, but sometime in the near future with a Saturday night's main event and more of 1990. So until then, Mystic, take us home. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature
coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared And salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared